Hello everyone and welcome to episode 151 of Otaku Brothers. We're here for the holiday season and the Otaku Brothers Christmas special. My name is Rusty and as always I'm joined by my forever co-host and brother-in-law Ryan. I heard you had an eventful morning. How you doing? I did and I had a humbling week overall but I mean for the most part pretty good. Mm. I uh I've hit the ripe old age of 30 and it, as even in the grand scheme of things, it's still young, but you see, you start cracking a little bit more. And uh, I was at the gym this week and I was trying to do what I used to do. Like I'm going more for just survival, <laughs> being able to just run around and have fun. But I uh, woke up the next day and I could barely move my back. Oh. I just like, I think I did it at the wrong time. Um, so that was humbling. Um but yeah, last night I had some dog stuff pop up and I don't know if it I really want to get into it cuz it's kind of gross, but it it was not fun. Yeah. It, it was the dog had some stuff that happened in the bed and I'm going to have to clean my sheets mm. sometime today. So, that's a good time. Um and then this morning I had something unfortunate happen for my gaming setup. I went to oh, no. listen to the songs that I picked for our uh, melodies are our Christmas songs that we're going to be playing later in the episode, and my TV's broken. It, oh no! It flashes for a second the like HDMI one, and then it's black. I can still hear the PlayStation sound if it's on, but like the TV is shot. Do you think it's like maybe an internal crack to the screen that's preventing you to see stuff? I or? don't know. It was working completely fine last night, and oh, no. then I woke up this morning, and then it's just it's not working. So. Mm. It's a problem for future me. I'm going to try to deal with it this week, but that's just a big loss and not an expense I wanted to spend. Um, and then my backup TV is, I'm going from like a 55 inch to, I think like a 32 or 34, whatever I lent you. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so that'll be my new gaming setup until I get something fixed. Well, my only caution to you for using that is when you let me borrow it, there's no buttons on the side of the screen to be able to switch inputs. And there's also... I never had the remote to it. So if you have that. I don't have a remote. It, it The remote for my other TV works for this TV. Oh, universal so, remotes. Exactly. What a great invention. So it, it's kind of cool. So my setup right now is I had my big TV and then I had like that side TV. So if I wanted to watch like Netflix on the side so I could have two mm-hmm. side by side. But the problem was like I'd click power and they'd both turn on oh. or I do volume on one and they'd both go up. Dude, first world problems of the world. I know, right? My TV's broken. My dog's sick. Like, it's just, it's a hard knock life it for is, us. But it's about to get a lot better, Ryan, because yeah. we have an action packed agenda to talk through today on Otaku Brothers. So if you're new here, welcome in. We hope this episode finds everyone well. Hopefully, you know, the if you're in the corporate world or whatever job that you have is kind of settling down a bit over the next couple of weeks, maybe you can take some time off, even if you can't. We're here to treat your ears to two and a half hours of entertainment. Ryan and I, of course, coming off the heels of the Jeff Keighley Game Awards, have to kind of break down the highlights, the highs, and the uh, the very <laughs> the low lows. Yeah. Um, Bill Clinton was involved. It was an interesting show. It was show. eventful, for sure. It was very eventful, for sure. But we're going to talk about the highlights coming away from that show, some of our favorite reveals, and talk through some of the, uh, the award wins. Mm-hmm. So that'll be really fun. Uh, We also have to talk through, as we do each and every time we record the podcast, the games that we've been playing recently, and uh, I've been trying to sneak in a few more 2022 game beats as I continue to 
finalize my top 10 games of the year list because it's goatee season officially, people. It's the time where you have to sit down, reflect on the year that was, and go through the wild exercise of whittling and chipping away that list of beats to a perfection, or perfect, I should say, list of 10 games that you beat over the course of the year. It's it's great fun. Ryan and I do it every year, and this year, uh, there's just a lot of great games that we played and beat, so I'm looking forward to finalizing my list. I hope everyone else is considering doing the same because, as we will tease towards the end of the show, we have our community Game of the Year special following our own personal Top 10 Games of the Year special, which will release in two weeks on Christmas Eve. But with all that being said, strap yourselves in. Hopefully you have a nice, cozy, warm beverage to kind of sip on while we kind of talk at you for the next two hours or so. Yeah. How's that sound, Ryan? Sounds great. Awesome. Well, I do want to hear how your week has been going as we do each and every episode. We talk about what's been going down, any relevant life updates we want to bring to the show. So what's new with you outside of a broken back? (laughs) I I think that's pretty much it. It's just part of the course. Just trying Mm. to sneak like you sneak in some remaining games. I have three that I'm kind of like halfway through that I really need to get finished uh, over these next couple weeks. Okay, good stuff. Well, um, nothing really new to report on my end either. Going to a little holiday gathering at my uncle's house tonight. It's kind of an annual thing that he puts together. So that, so that should be fun. Um, but yeah, fortunately for me, work's kind of beginning to settle down. Uh, I know I talked about this earlier in the year. Really haven't talked about it much since then. But I am kind of in a rotational program uh, with my job. So every eight months, I go to a different area in technology, get lots of exposure to different teams, different technologies, kind of upskill in a number of different areas. So that's been fun. Um, but because of that, over the next two weeks, I can't really take on anything significant because I don't really want to carry it into my second rotation as part mm-hmm. of this program. So with all that being said, I kind of just have some odds and ends things to kind of get done. And then I can kind of sign off at a reasonable hour of the day and get back to playing some great video games. So I'm hoping to get over to our buddy Ethan's house mm-hmm. um, one of these days over the next week or so, because He's continuing to chip away at The Last of Us Part Two, mm-hmm. and I kind of want to spectate while he continues to make his way through that game. And he's off as of last Friday, yeah. so he has a really long vacation. He really does. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous. I'm uh, I'm hoping to carry as many vacation days into next year just because Lauren and I are planning on going to Japan for two weeks in the spring, um, which we are very excited about. And if there are any... Japanese exclusive games that you think I should be on the hunt for because you better believe I'll be doing some game hunting. Be sure to shoot me a DM on Discord or Twitter. I feel like that's a Pete Dork question. It probably is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to need to hook up my boy Pete just to get to get the lay down on the Japanese exclusive titles that I need to be on the lookout for. But um, yeah, that's really it. Not too much going on. Playing some great games. It's chilly. It's cold. Drinking lots of hot cocoa. And uh, it's just a cozy good time. For sure. Here in the Lewis house. But What I really want to know about, Ryan, you talked about trying to sneak in some 2022 beats before we finalize our game of the year lists. What have you been beating on? What have you been playing and working on behind the scenes? Tell the good people and enlighten me. So last week I was feeling an RPG. I didn't want anything super serious or intense. Um, I got the suggestion from Josh Prep on Paper Mario Origami King. Oh, yeah. Um, So I ended up ordering that one. So that should be coming when Amazon decides to bring it to me. Um, but I popped in Skyrim. I mean, it, it's just a 
I don't know, a guilty pleasure at this point. And I feel like I need to squeak in a second playthrough. My problem with Skyrim is I always get to the same place and then I'm like, all right, I'm done with this. You've had like, you had your fill. Yeah. Yeah. And I always follow the same freaking route. Mm -hmm. So um, my route is I usually, I'm a cat. I'm a Khajiit. Mm. And then I go the stealth route. I go right to, you have to progress the main storyline until you get to the dragon. So then you can start killing dragons for their bones. Um, I go up to the gray beards. I sit behind a gray beard and just stab him in the back until I get a hundred sneak. And then I'm all stealthy. And then it's all about updating or getting your enchanting smithing to level hundred. So then you can just one shot everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I did this time, which I usually don't do, but I feel like this is going to be my new path that I start taking after I do, I guess, those things, is I ended up going through the Thieves Guild. Um, not all the way, but midway through, or I think two quests from the end of the Thieves Guild, uh, you get the Skeleton Key, which is an unbreakable lockpick. Mm-hmm. So if you're going the stealthy route, breaking into doors, that's what you want. Because it helps you with all the other quest lines because you're going to have to use uh, lockpicks. Yeah. So that's kind of where I stopped. Um, I've done all of the other uh, quest lines. I believe there's five. Um, Not necessarily on the PlayStation, but across my six different purchases Mm. of the game. But uh, yeah, I, I think I'm good with Skyrim for now. I'm good put it stuff, down. man. Yeah, I always love visiting Skyrim. I kind of make it, if not an annual tradition at this point, every other year, kind of mm-hmm. year and a half, jump in. I kind of suffer from the same thing, though, because I always do my stealthy archer build, uh, typically like a dark elf or a wood elf, yeah. make it about 15, 20 hours in, and I kind of get to the same thing. I'm like, okay, I'm about halfway through the Thieves Guild, halfway through the main quest line, I'm ready to, to shelve this, and yeah. then in two years, I'll create another character and kind of do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, because... I've done the Mage's Guild in Winterhold maybe like four times. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I I don't need to get the Archmage cloaks. Um, You can only go through the Dark Brotherhood so many times. That one gets really tedious. Um, And I noticed that most of the quest lines, they follow a very similar pattern. Mm -hmm. For Winterhold, or for the uh, Mage's Guild, for the Assassin's Guild, and then for the Thieves' Guild... It's basically like three quarters of the way through, you get betrayed by someone in your guild, and then you kind of have to just kill them and then like take power and be mm-hmm. the leader. Um, the companions are really the only unique guild quest line, mm. and that's where you become a werewolf. Um, but yeah, overall, had a great time. So you play as a Khajiit, which is a cat for those that are unfamiliar with Skyrim. Yeah. And it has been your fantasy for quite some time to become a cat yeah, in real life. Yeah, to become a furry. And yeah. that really hasn't worked out for you. No, it hasn't. But yeah. you could still become a cat in another video game. I can, and that's one I picked up as well. And so, that's in Stray. You're playing some Stray. What's been going, how you liking it? I'm liking it so far. Um, the main character, <laughs> I guess if you can call your uh, cat, your tabby cat, a character, um, looked very much like my cat who passed away a couple years ago. Mm, little um, Skittles. Skittles. And so I, I'm enjoying it. I got maybe an hour through. I just got my little backpack, which was adorable. I ended up stopping my first kind of night playing through it at the puzzle for the backpack mm. because I just couldn't figure it out. Or I, it was far more puzzle intensive than I thought it would be. Yeah. And I kind of got locked into the room and I'm like struggling with it for 10 minutes. 
and it's not quite to the level of your hatred for puzzles, but I'm like, I can empathize with Rusty. Like, I, I feel in his pain at this point. So um, I ended up picking up, getting the backpack, getting out of the room. Um, and my plan is to beat that probably this week. Yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, I think I beat it in two relatively short set uh, sittings, maybe three to five hours. I really enjoyed my time with Stray. I mean, I know the past couple of weeks I've been kind of dogging on it because of its nomination for or being in the nomination for game of the year, just because um, I started Tunic this week, which I'll get into here shortly. And I just feel like that game is just much more deserving of that nominee and mm-hmm. that spot on the game of the year category than something like Stray. But I certainly understand the praise it's gotten. It's especially for it being uh, a debut title for the development studio. I mean, atmosphere, soundtrack, just the physics of the cat in general, how you interact with that world, all the NPCs, just the level of detail that went into it all is really impressive uh, and I really enjoyed my time exploring it, um, you know, exploring every nook and cranny, finding fun little collectibles. And um, I actually enjoyed the puzzle solving in, in Stray quite a bit. Um, that really didn't get in the way of my enjoyment. It's just it wasn't something that I was really thinking about after the fact, like, wow, what a game. Like like some of these other games that I've played this year that we'll eventually um, talk about as part of game of the year discussion. But Toem is one that I look mm-hmm. at that after the fact, I'm like, dang, what a special experience. That's the one where you're kind of black and white aesthetic. You're kind of almost in these like shoebox like environments where you're taking pictures to solve puzzles. Oh, yeah. Um, you got it as part of PlayStation Plus. I enjoyed that quite a bit more than something like Stray. Um, but Stray, really good game. Strong first outing for that team. And I'm excited what they do in the future. But um, I'm excited to hear, too, what you think of it once you get a chance to roll credits. Yeah, I mean, I'm not that far. I, I think Tunic would be a more reasonable uh, game of the year nomination like up there with Hades when that indie title got nominated for sure so if you swap out tunic with stray um i i have no problem with stray winning indie title of the year um i would have loved for tunic but i, I feel like that's a more reasonable placement of that award mm-hmm. um so yeah overall i'm enjoying it i mean the animations of the cats are spot on so good yeah um and i think that's the thing too like i've not had a cat in my house for like over 15 years i'm lauren and i are dog people so i think the game tends to kind of favor cat owners probably and probably speaks to and connects with people that have cats quite a bit more than someone that has had dogs more traditionally growing up yeah and if you ever want to pretend you're a cat and get that weird like that interesting perspective uh it's your game pick up stray yeah yeah so that that's one of the games um and then coming off the Game Awards, I, I was playing some Dead Cells last night. There was an announcement, and we'll get into later, of another DLC. So I picked up that one. I originally played Dead Cells on my Switch. So like all of my extra weapons and all of my flasks for healing are unlocked on the Switch. But there are trophies, and Hell I'm yeah. slowly getting into trophies, unfortunately. And I, I mean, fuck, I will never get the Platinum in... Uh, in Dead Cells on PlayStation. Is it tough? It's 0.6%. It's disgustingly tough. Okay. Um, So on the Switch, there are five difficulties. So there's the base run, and then there's five different kind of boss orbs or souls or whatever that you can kind of put in as difficulties Mm -hmm. to get like the true ending. And I believe one of the trophies, which I believe was like 0.8%, was kind of go through and get the final ultimate ending. No, oh, and, and there's there's no way that's difficulty specific. You're saying, mm-hmm. yeah, no thanks. And I got through new game, new game plus, 
or basically like two levels of extra difficulty on the base, I still have three more. Mm. Um, luckily, from what I'm reading or what I was reading when I was really into it, I think er, what last year or earlier this year was two to three is the biggest difficulty spike. And then once you kind of get over that hump, the remaining couple aren't as bad. But it's just, it's just training your mind from like, yeah, you can kind of brute force this with some skill to like, hey, I'm going to rethink how I'm doing the entire run through. Mm, okay. But yeah, I'm excited to get back into that. I mean, it's a roguelike and I'm not the biggest fan of roguelikes, um, but you can also do a custom mode. So like you you play through, you get different blueprints that you can slowly unlock with drops from your enemies. Um and then you can say like, hey, say I want a whip for a playthrough. You can upgrade your whip and say, I want to start with this base level whip and go through the game like that. Okay. So cool. it's not a hundred percent roguelike if you don't want it to be, which I'm I really enjoy. Nice. Yeah, I think if I was gonna get into a roguelike and especially getting into the game awards announcements, I definitely am thinking about picking up a PS5 copy of Hades soon. Okay. That's a really good one as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then my last one we can talk about when you go through your games. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that one. Trust yeah. me. I cannot wait <laughs> to talk about a little 3D platformer here soon. But I'll, I'll kind of talk through some of the games that I've been playing recently before I get to that one. Um, coming off the heels of our last episode, I talked about going back to Assassin's Creed Valhalla because uh, I put 80 hours into it last year. I've already put another 40 hours into it this year. Really enjoying my time with it still. Uh, I have kind of hit that like fatigue level though where it's like oh my gosh just because for context assassin's creed valhalla obviously part of this new trilogy of assassin's creed games that has come out over the past like five or six years or so you had origins which was ancient egypt you had odyssey which was kind of ancient greece and then you had valhalla which is more this kind of viking crusade um the game overstays its welcome from a story perspective i think i rolled credits around 60 65 hours for that And then there is just a colossal ton of collectibles and other things to do if you want to grind out the achievements or trophies, which Mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to do now. And there are a couple of different areas in the game or maps, I would say. So there's England, which is spread out across probably 12 to 14 different territories. Each territory has, again, a heaping ton of collectibles that you have to find. So I pretty much cleared out all of England's collectibles, which I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so close. Now I just need to go to this other section of the map, clear that up. I did that. The collectibles trophy didn't pop. I'm like, what? Please, for the love, do not tell me that I just spent the past 30 hours collecting all this stuff, and now this is going to glitch out of me now, because I only need three to four more trophies, and then I'm done. You're what, like 91%, I think? 91%. I think I have 47 of the 51 trophies. Of course, once I get the 50th, the the 51st is the platinum that will pop. Yeah. One of them is I have to catch every species of fish in the game. (laughs) Those are the worst. (laughs) Fortunately, there's only 19. There's not a ton. Uh, I already have 10 of them. Endemic life trophies, I... As far as collectibles go, I'm fine collecting rocks or, like, hidden things like Uncharted, but, like having me sit out and fish for like, is it completely random what you get? Or do you actually see the fish that you're getting? 
you can see the size of the fish and you can kind of see the silhouette of its um, kind of figure. Okay. So you have a general idea of like, should I even throw my line out there? So is it like Animal Crossing level of detail or like where you just see the black outline? It's more specific than that. Okay. You can actually see the entire frame of the fish. So you kind of have ideas like, is this going to be a perch or is this going to be a salmon? Okay. You do have a better indication. That's good. But if a fish is a fish, right? I mean, it's not like you're looking at sharks and squids. I mean, it's 19 fish, not Mm. marine life, right? So it's a little bit more challenging, a lot of RNG, and I can only take like 20 minutes of doing that. And I'm like, I'm out of here, right? I need to take a break from this. Are there location specific fish? There are. Okay. So there's a guide. guide, There's a guide. I mean, but even when I followed a guide, I'll go to a specific area, I'll fish for 20 minutes and the same fish spawns the entire time, right? Sea bass. They're yeah, the worst. Exactly. So that's going to be more of a grind. The one I'm really dreading is you have to beat wherever it's indicated on the map, every Orlog player, which is basically a dice game. Think of Yahtzee, but in the Viking oh, times. Oh, so like the Witcher where you have to do that. Gwent, thing. the yeah. card game. It, it's kind of like that. Learning the, the, the finer mechanics of the dice game is pretty easy. It's just... I've never been a fan of that kind of stuff in games. Never played Gwent outside of when they kind of force you to in the very beginning of the game. And then it's like, you never have to do this again if you don't want to. And Assassin's Creed Valhalla is the same way. There's one specific mission where you have to play one game and you can kind of just button mash your way through it because the opponent's really easy to beat. Mm -hmm. But the other Orlog players spread across the map are of varying difficulties. Um, And there's no difficulty setting for Orlog, right? You can't just mash the X button and get through it there is a strategy to it and you have to understand that um in order to defeat all these players so that's trophy number two that i'm dreading the third and final is getting all these collectibles and i thought what the heck i've cleared these two maps what else could i possibly need to do then i figured out one of the two best players or places that you could explore in the game that i never knew about until i beat valhalla is once you beat the game, you unlock these two dream sequences where you can go to Asgard mm-hmm. and Jotunheim. That's cool. And you can obviously interact with Thor and Loki and Odin and, you know, that entire mythology, which is really pretty neat. What sucks is that both of those realms have a shit ton of collectibles, too. Do the So for the territories, does it at least give you on the side of your screen, like you have X out of X? You can see them all on the map. They're all okay. there. Every single one of those collectibles is marked on the map. Okay. So I know where they are. It's just a matter of doing it. That is just like... So more Horizon. Bro, right? I like just spent 30 hours collecting and clearing all this stuff. I was ready to be done. And then I went to Jotunheim and Asgard. I'm like, I, I can't do this right now. I have a have hundred more collectibles to get. So how many hours do you think you now have in the game? I probably could knock at all of this stuff, including fish, including the Orlog and collectibles in 10 hours. But okay, I just pumped 40 more into this game. <laughs> so the things I do for trophies and love, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I mean, 10 hours isn't bad at all. But it is one of those things, too. It's like I'm so deep now. I can't not do this. Yeah. Right. Oh, for sure. Like I, I have to do this at this point. Um, at least that's what I'm convincing myself (laughs) yeah you're gonna suffer through 10 hours be like was this worth it probably not um but so yeah assassin's creed valhalla still somewhat enjoying it but my goodness has it been quite the journey in trying to get this platinum so still enjoying it but 
I'll get around to that Platinum eventually, and that will be quite the monumental achievement. The other game that I, I downloaded earlier this week that I think last episode even, I talked about, you know, I'm going to hold off on playing this, not really in the mood, don't really have the time, but I just finished this other game that we'll get to here shortly, and I'm like, you know what? Let's try and sneak one more 2022 game in. So I downloaded Tunic, which for those that are not aware, it is basically an old school Zelda-like experience, kind of isometric perspective, top-down view, but you play as this adorable fox. And aesthetically, like all of these environments almost seem like you're kind of in this wispy, like foggy dreamlike state. Like the world itself is so beautifully detailed, but it looks very dreamlike. Yeah, it's really like contrasty, vibrant. It's it's a breath of fresh air, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's difficult. It's challenging, it's and sure. you know there are accessibility options. And I'll kind of get this out of the way. I'm playing on no fail mode, which people are probably scoffing at and saying, "Rusty, you're a real gamer." Half the fun of Tunic <laughs> is 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 how difficult it is, and how challenging these bosses are, and overcoming that, and the satisfaction when you clear a boss after 15 failed attempts. And for me, I'm at the point where, you know, I played Uncharted on crushing difficulty recently. I played Spider-Man on ultimate difficulty to get a a singular trophy. Like I'm no um, stranger to difficult games, but I'm at a point with Tunic where the main criticism and critique of it time and time again, from what I've heard from both critics, friends, and just scrolling on Twitter is this game is just too damn hard. It's way too punishing. It it brought down my enjoyment at times. And, and maybe that wouldn't be the case for me, but I'm like, you know what? I just want to experience this world. I want to explore. I want to get these collectibles. I want to go through these dungeons. I want to experience the highs and not a whole lot of the lows right now, especially because I'm coming up against a tight crunch and deadline to finalize my list. And flagging that accessibility option to never be able to die is really allowing me to kind of just like no stress my way through this game and I'm loving it. Yeah, I ended up doing the opposite and playing without that because I, to be honest, I didn't even look through. I hate menus. So like the less menus, I'm not looking for accessibility. I'm like, this is the game. It is what it is. And it is. It's difficult in times. Like I, my problem with like Mario games for like platformers are you jump on the boss's head three times and then the entire boss battle's over. And I was thinking Tunic would be kind of a more difficult version of the old Zelda type games. Because like Ocarina of Time was, I mean, it's the same type of thing that Mario is. Um, But yeah, this one is a mixture of like the old school Zelda games. And then like, I mean, it's cliche at this point, like a Dark Souls. It's esque, but it's just more difficult. It is. And there was, I think the second boss. So... You go in and you basically have to two different objectives. Either you go to the right and then or you go to the left. And that second boss on the left, I died maybe 15 times before mm-hmm. I was able to defeat him. And it is you get the same level of satisfaction, I guess, playing the way that I did. And I mean, even playing with those kind of assess- accessibility options, you still it's a difficult boss. Like mm-hmm. you still have to learn the mechanics, but yeah, it, it's definitely you're excited when you win. For sure. And it, it's also like I already know this is a game I'm going to revisit in the future. And so I have no doubt that in the future, maybe I'll play it again. 
Um, I don't know if there's a new game plus mode or not, but maybe if there is a new game plus mode, I'll play it with the accessibility option off and and see how I like it or don't like it, you know, depending on um, how that plays out. But just to kind of set up the scene too, for those that haven't played Tunic. So it's this top down isometric view. You're playing as adorable Fox. You start out the game and unlike most games nowadays, there's no handholding. There's no tutorials. There's no press X to swing your sword. You are thrust into this world. You have nothing. You are left to your own devices. You have to explore, find weapons, figure out different paths, where you're supposed to go. And as Ryan alluded to in the very beginning of the game, there's a bell on the east and a bell on the west that you have to hit with your, your weapon of choice or the weapon that you end up finding. And scattered and littered across this world are these little white manual pieces. So as you navigate this world, you pick up these little white pieces of paper and it opens up this beautifully detailed and colorful manual and it shows you pictures and all these different graphics to help piece together how you're meant to play the game and what these different items do and and how you're supposed to go here to eventually solve this puzzle to unlock the next area of the map. And it's so interesting and a novel concept, but stupidly simple at the same time. The manual is probably my favorite part of the game. Yeah. Because you're you're slowly finding these pages, and like you were saying, they're just vibrant, and just the aesthetic is freaking great. And, you, I mean, for this game, you want to go in blind. Don't look up walkthroughs. Don't look up where to go next, mm-hmm. because it's so interconnected. And not to its detriment, but, like, I'm, I was constantly flipping through the manuals, like, all right, I'm missing this page because like I was playing with my friend Nick mm-hmm. when we were going through this. She was on her Switch and I was on the PlayStation and we we're like, okay, so it goes from page 19 to page 35. I've obviously skipped a lot there, but then you're switching between what you do have and saying, okay, so this map connects to here. Let's let's see if I can explore this route. And then it's blocked. So you're like, okay, I need something to get over there. Let's go this different route. And you're slowly just exploring this world. And yeah, I mean, if you were to look up guides, it would just completely break you out of that experience. It would. And I think that's also why I feel so comfortable flagging the accessibility option because I can't die because there's still so much challenge involved. Mm -hmm. Where am I supposed to go? And if you ever played Fez in the early kind of just as the, I feel like games like um, Fez, Super Meat Boy, uh, Braid, Bastion, some of those early Xbox Live Arcade indie games that really paved the way, laid the foundation for stuff like Journey and now stuff like Hades and all these other indie games that have come out since. But Fez, while I never played it, I remember watching footage and you could use the trigger buttons to kind of just slightly shift the camera around to see how you might be able to move around this corner or better understand where you're at because there's this depth perception issue with the camera where you might walk up to a ledge and think that you can walk down this ladder but when you shift and tilt the camera just a little bit you realize like oh no wait there's a gap here that ladder is actually on the other side of this gap and i can't get there yet okay right so it's a little bit difficult in trying to understand where you're supposed to go but what i found happen so many times to my point or to this point playing it which i love is that all kind of tell myself okay I can't I can't go this direction yet so let's let's bust back over here let's go through this dungeon and when I get to the end of the dungeon I'll find out all along that I actually could have gotten over there before if I just hugged the wall a little bit went under this waterfall and I could have gotten there I never even really had to go through that dungeon 
there were so many times that that happened. Yeah. Like, yeah, you complete the dungeon. You're like, frick. Like, within the first couple minutes of me spawning at the start of the game, I could have gone this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's last thing I'll interject here is it's so difficult to describe this on a podcast without watching footage or playing the game just, yourself. Just don't. Yeah. Don't watch footage. Play the game yeah. and you, you'll run it. Just hug walls. Yeah. And that's not what I, I usually I'm center of the path type person just because I'm afraid that something's going to pop out and try to kill me. But yeah, I would definitely suggest hugging walls, run into corners that you think you're like, maybe that could be something because most likely it probably is. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. I cannot wait to play more. I'm about three-ish hours in. What I've lo- I've seen, it's maybe about 12 to 15, depending on how long you take to yep. beat it. Um, other thing I'll mention is the music, right? So I've already said Zelda-like adventure. And when you play a Zelda game, immediately at the, the forefront of the game, when you pop your little NES game in or your Super Nintendo Link to the Past, it's... Big chip tune, eight bit, sixteen bit song, right in your face. Get you ready for this adventure. Tunic could not be more of the opposite of that. It's this dreamlike, serene, beautiful, almost Jeremy Soul Skyrim exploration suite type music yeah. that is so chill and so relaxing, and counter to the difficulty of the game itself. <laughs> um, but it works so wonderfully. It does, and. I think you'll see why, because I think you complained a little that you're like, I want some more intense music because you're slowly falling asleep in some areas. I was playing late at night. I'm like, bro, like I kind of need some pummy <laughs> up music right now. And, and it gets there eventually, but they use it. They use music more as atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So you, you'll see some changes in it. And I went back and I watched the bo- like the garden boss off to the left. And it's not super intense. It's more the the combat noises that make it intense. Mm hmm. Um, but it, you'll, you'll get to a point where as you're progressing the story, um, it does, they do change up that feel. Yeah. Um, so you'll, you won't be falling asleep yeah. <laughs> later on. And I mean, in the best ways, I mean, I tweeted about it when I first started the game and I said, it, it looks so good. It plays so well. And the music, it's kind of putting me into sleep, but in a good way, mm-hmm. you know? So it does, it does capture that dream, like feel really well it does and it does. i mean i'm glad you're liking this and death's door is which i played right after this yeah. if you're liking tunic and you're fine with the level of puzzles and i can't remember many puzzles in tunic really intuitive so far yeah yeah death's door is the exact same way and that that was my 10th platinum and it has the same feel the same level of joy you don't have the ability to toggle any kind of like no die scenarios but the bosses are not difficult enough for you to like, they're very much like old school Zelda bosses. Okay. So you're good. No, I'll have to check it out for sure. No, really loving Tunic. It's, it used to be Xbox exclusive. Now you can get it on Switch, I believe. I'm playing it on PlayStation, probably mm-hmm. Steam. Highly recommend it, especially if you're trying to also sneak one more game in this year. Not too terribly long. And again, if, if you're like me and you don't really want to worry too much about the difficulty, uh, you do have that accessibility option feature available to you. So Definitely check out Tunic. I'm sure it'll be coming up in two weeks when we start figuring out what our games of the year are. So, um, yeah, Tunic, wonderful stuff. Really enjoying my time with it. But you mentioned that you were playing one other game, and I also played one other game the past two weeks. And so, quick little shout out to Holy Hand Grenade in the Discord. 
Um, I am very in tune with what people are playing on their PlayStations. And I am also (laughs) creepily so (laughs) very in tune with the types of trophies people are unlocking. I'm not going to name drop anyone specific, but um, very aware. Mm -hmm. I have notifications set up when people unlock trophies or playing different games. And uh, Holy Hand Grenade was playing this game called Tiny Ken. And I remember one other person that uh, I've been friends with and known for many years at this point. Her name is Steph. Uh, from the Steph's Too Deaf YouTube channel. Uh, she has a thread going for every game that she beats over the course of the year. And I remember her tweeting about it a couple months back. And um, it, it's, it kind of caught my eye, but I didn't look into it at the time. And then when Holy Hand Grenade was playing it, I'm like, what? what is this game? Let me check it out. So I pulled up on the PlayStation Store. It was on sale for $17.99, uh, a little PlayStation Plus discount. And I just saw these sprawling big wide open environments and it looked like a 3d platformer yeah i mean it's well worth the price but i i mean for me when it comes to you playing these random platformers i almost just like roll my eyes and i'm just like here we go again like another jank ass game and i mean i ended up downloading this one because i i you you promoted it you're like hey you should you should take a look and I took a look at the pictures. It looked fantastic. And then when you actually get into it, I I stayed up way too late one night playing it. Hell well yeah. Well worth it. Yeah, so Tinykin, let me set the stage. You're going to be playing as this young boy named Milo. Uh, and basically, he has this desire to leave his planet and discover life on other planets because mm-hmm. he thinks there's got to be more people out there. We, we are all Like the origin that. of humanity or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So he hops in his little ship and then he crash lands into this house that's basically set in the 1990s. And you now have to go around this home in a Toy Story-like fashion in search of these different components that you need to rebuild your ship and eventually make it back to your home planet. Yeah. And graphically, aesthetically, why I kind of was hesitant to buy it was because there's another game that has a similar graphical aesthetic called um, Demon Turf or Demon's Turf that came out, I think, last year. And I remember buying it because our folks over on IndieQuest were really excited about it too. Um, and I remember them kind of like sharing tweets over the course of the development cycle of the game. I bought it day one. I played it for an hour and never went back because it was just not the type of game that I thought it was going to be. And I figured that Tinykin might suffer from the same thing. And what I mean by that from a graphical standpoint is the main character is a 2D sprite, but there's 3D animated backgrounds. Yeah, picture like a Cartoon Network character thrown into a realistic kind of environment or house. Exactly. Um, yeah, when you texted me, I, I my exact thought when I started the game is this very well could be a licensed game based on an already existing Cartoon Network cartoon mm-hmm. that I've just never seen before. Yeah. Because Milo, the main character, totally looks like something right like out a of... Like Timmy Turner or something. Yeah, like right out of a, um, a Cartoon Network show, but... And you mentioned something, too, at the top that I do want to go back to. Everyone that listens to this podcast on a regular basis knows that I play a ton of 3D platformers all the time. Dime a dozen. And it probably does become a tired conversation where like, oh, here's Rusty. Let me fast forward. Let me put the podcast on times two speed because he's going to talk up this 3D platformer that everyone needs to play because it's a hidden gem and no one knows about it yet. Everything's another ukulele. Exactly. <laughs> but I kid you not, this this is different. I have not played a 3D platformer this good in years. 
Yeah, I mean, the way I described it was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids fever dream mixed with Toy Story. Yeah, that's a, it's a pretty apt comparison for sure. And what I want to highlight is what I love about 3D platformers and what I don't. Everyone loves Mario 64, or at least that grew up with the N64. That was obviously your first 3D platformer. I love that style of 3D platformer, okay? When you hop into a picture frame or Mario Galaxy, you hop into a world and you're always looking for one specific collectible and then it spits you back out, right? What I love even more is the Banjo-Kazooie's of the world, DK64, more recently Ukulele, where you go into a world and you're left to your own devices to explore these sprawling environments at any direction you want to go there's going to be collectibles it's not going to spit you out you collect things to your own heart's content and that's exactly what tinykin does and it does this in a masterful way where you go into these worlds these like little levels of sorts you have a hub area in the house and let's just use the first world for an as an example it's basically going into andy's room mm-hmm. in toy story the moment you, you go in, you just see collectibles littered across the map. And at any given moment, you can go after any of those collectibles, right? And constantly, I'd go to one corner of the map and I was just making little mental notes for myself like, okay, I can't get up to that ledge yet, but I'll be sure to come back there later because I know I'm going to need that collectible eventually. And you're just constantly making these mental notes to yourself as you explore each corner of the map. And I feel like the game does such a good job of kind of nudging you along to go to each corner. And as you collect more things, you talk to more NPCs that kind of requires you to go to the other side of the particular level to complete some type of an objective. Yeah, and so I played it a little different before I ended up talking to you on the phone and you telling me that these different bugs almost are to giving you different objectives. So I just ran into this room like there's, what was it, Pollen? Pollen is one of the main collectibles. There's yeah. pollen, and then there's these little eggs that produce these tiny kin. Mm-hmm. And they, it like, so for me, for platformers, I don't play as many as you. And I've played very few, actually. I was trying to put a, like, a, make a mental note of, like, the type of games I played platformer wise. You got the Marios. Um, you have, like, Celeste for, like, the more difficult ones. I, I never really got too far into like Meat Boy. And then you got like the more RPG type ones where you get like Ori. Mm-hmm. Um, my thing with uh, platformers is I like a gimmick to it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I love Sh- Sunshine is because you don't have just Mario jumping on turtles and stuff um, where you have in like 64. But you have like this nozzle that you get to customize and kind of use in unique ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what Tinykin does in this game is there's a variety and I'm only three worlds out of six worlds in. So I'm about halfway through it. But these Tinykins all have different properties in mm-hmm. the way that you use them. And the second it clicks on like how you use them, like there's there's towering Tinykins that you can stack and like use as kind of a vine to get taller. Um, you float around in a bubble. Um, there's ones that you use to pick up things. There's electrical ones, and it, it just feels so smooth in the way that you use them oh that gosh. it feels like an extension of your main character. It does. And the v- same way that Flood felt like the extension of Mario, which Sunshine, I would say, before this game was my favorite platformer of all times, just because of, one, I think, Nostalgia Goggles. I played it earlier this year, and it 
it, nostalgia goggles are a big thing, but I still love Flood so much. Uh, but this one has that very same feel, but then you layer on the exploring like Toy Story. Like I went back to Toy Story, I think two earlier this year with the PlayStation Network upgrades. Mm-hmm. And it's just jank as hell mm-hmm. at this point. But that feeling that you get of exploring this house as like a toy, as Woody, as Buzz, and you have that exact same feel of like the scale that these toys would be exploring. Very much like Kingdom Hearts 3, where you're like, this is the greatest world. I'm so glad I got to explore Andy's room, the front yard, the toy store, and it just felt great. But then kind of blow that up to a larger scale, a more in-depth environment. Like Andy's room, there wasn't much that you had to do. Yeah. But imagine that environment with hidden gems throughout. And then you also have that layer that Rusty loves is collecting shit. So you have thousands of pollen within, spread throughout. I mean, there are some hidden ones Mm -hmm. and it's up for you to kind of go into the crevices of the world or of the bedroom, of the other environments. I don't want to spoil them because they're great. Um, it's freaking fantastic. It like is. I, I, you called me and I was, I started at like 10 o'clock cause I'm like, all right, I, I got done with stray and I'm like, I'm feeling this. I could go to bed cause it's a school night or a, a work night. And yeah, you called me about your internet being gone to hell. And I was speechless on just how good, great this game was and just the feeling that you get of exploring this world um i I think my favorite thing about it is you get to ride around on the soap oh my gosh (laughs) you ride around on like a bubbling soap for like a like the access to more speedy traversing and when you're using your exploding tiny kins you can actually i don't know it's like a silk bug or something that shoots like a web across the map and soap, soaping across that strand across the entire room and just looking around at the scale of that environment as you're like, holy crap, like there's so much more for me to find. And then you have the crisscrossing of those strands. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's unbelievable. It I mean, really 17, is. but I would have paid 60 bucks for this game, 100%. like full price. Like, it, it's, it's great. It's so good. Yeah, there's, there's, you talked about so many things. You basically hit on everything I wanted to hit on. Um, I've never really been a fan of Pikmin, not because I played it and didn't like it, mainly because I've never played a Pikmin game before. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that's the easiest comparison to make when you talk about the tiny kin and how you use them for puzzle solving and navigating the environment. It's buttery smooth. It's unbelievable how, as you were saying, it plays into, and it's an extension of your character and how you navigate these environments, puzzle solve, complete these objectives for NPCs. And yeah. Oh my goodness, the little bar of soap that you basically use as a skateboard to skateboard around these environments. And you use these Tinykin to basically create shortcuts around the environment. So you might get up to a ledge or a bookshelf or a table, you blow up this box and it lets down or releases a rope to the bottom of the floor so that later on, if you need to get back up to that bookshelf or get back up to that table to find a collectible, talk to an NPC, complete an objective... You can just walk up to that rope, climb it, get there, you know, easy as can be. Um, and just that constant reward system. I always felt like the game was just patting me on the back because I collected a collectible. I got to a ledge I didn't think I could get to previously, or I just completed an objective. I just felt so satisfied while I was playing the game, constantly rewarded. And it took me back to playing 
like Spyro ripped to his rage on the PlayStation 1 where I'm navigating this environment, I've gotten everything that I thought I needed to, I've completed all the objectives, and all I need are three blue rupees. Where the hell are these three (laughs) blue rupees? And you just comb through the rest of the environment. You retrace your steps. You literally look at every square inch of this level until you find those last few pieces of pollen or those last few tiny candy. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's like getting a platinum trophy. It's so satisfying finding those last few remaining collectibles in each level. And very rarely do 3D platformers nowadays reach that level of satisfaction for me. Very few of them do. Yeah, and most of the time you don't get rewarded for getting all of the rupees or getting all the pollen. And I mean, when I went into that first world, that room, and you see up in the top right corner the 1,000 pollen, I'm like, holy crap, this is a rusty game for sure. That's a lot of collectibles. And then I'm I'm going around the world and I'm like, I'm at 600. Exactly. I'm like, that, I'm just... I'm just exploring, trying to collect all the tiny gins so I can run around and do some more stuff. And when you get to a thousand, and you talked to me and told me on the phone, is to, so like similar to the way Flood hovers Mario in games, this, your main character has a bubble that he can float for a specific amount of time per bubble. But when you're collecting the pollen, you can actually turn in that pollen to a bug with a hat and he gives you another bubble or extends the amount of time you can float. Exactly. And... It really rewards you for your time spent collecting that stuff. And that, I, I think that's important. And I think that's a lot. A lot of games miss that for me is uh, I can collect all this crap. But like, why would I do that? There's nothing that I'm actually going to or like being able to do. So like for Monster Hunter, and it's not a collectible game. It's a purely RPG game. But you get those weird like collect a fish. You're like, why would I collect a fish besides a trophy? But like being able to put it in your house and have it swim around, you're like, you're, I guess I kind of, the two hours. There's a payoff off. for doing it. Yeah, there is. And like you, it changes your aesthetic of your character or something like that. Yeah. But this game, it just, it does it so, it just so well. It does. And the fact that this game came out, like I normally have not all the 3D platformers on my radar because it's impossible, <laughs> but. I normally have these games on my radar. I'm following the development cycle. I know when they come out, I buy them day one. KO the Kangaroo uh, being a more recent example. And this one just completely flew on the radar for under the radar for me. Had no idea it came out. Released back in August of this year. Holy hell, am I glad I played it now. Me too. And uh, this might be hyperbolic. And maybe it's a bias for just playing it recently. I think this is probably within specifically the genre of platformers, my favorite platformer. Yeah, I mean, it's also worth saying that I don't play a lot. So like the actual denominator of that statement isn't the biggest compared yeah. to yours. Um, I, I beat Sunshine, I think, earlier this year or end of last year. So I I still have that, which was my previously favorite platformer. Um, but I, I think it's the the toy story, like coming off of Kingdom Hearts, that toy story aesthetic that just always seemed great and the uniqueness of it and then the reward that you get playing it and then the ease of it and the gimmickiness uh, I there just there's a long list and I I haven't found a flaw yet and I don't know if you've you have critiques of it I'm sure maybe one or two um overall I'm loving all of it and 
I mean, this isn't a game that I see overstaying its welcome going to six worlds. I I'll probably end up wanting more explore basement, explore more of the house or give me frick another house to explore. Um, but the way that they craft the environments, it, it's not just a room. They do unique things to say, so say you go to a bathroom, they use toilet paper, almost cr like piles of toilet paper to make it seem like mountains, mm -hmm. kind of. So it's they're changing up the environments in a unique way. So it's not just, okay, I'm going to go in a toilet kind of thing. It's like I'm traversing toilet paper mountains as this tiny kid, and then I'm talking to bugs to try to get missions to get my ship together. Like it, yeah. It's just it's freaking unique and great. Yeah. No, dude, I loved it. And to your point of do I have any complaints, my only only complaint is – the pollen, you have X number out of X number. You know the end in sight. You know how many you need to collect in each level. Yeah. You don't know if you are going to try and 100% this game, get the platinum, get the achievement, or if you're playing on Switch, just get all of the collectibles. It doesn't tell you how many Tinykin are in each level. So I was, by the end of the game, once I rolled credits, once I was trying to 100% it, there is a YouTube series of videos out there. And the creator of those videos, he, in his comments section of the YouTube video, says at the end of this level, in order for the trophy to pop, I had this many Tinykin of each kind. Because again, there are multiple Tinykins that will do the varying things for you when it comes to puzzle solving, navigating the environments. And when you go to the menu screen, you can see how many of the, each of those Tinykin you have. So just map that to the YouTube video and you can figure out what you need. That's my only complaint just because I didn't know what I was working towards or how many I needed to get. And that can be frustrating because... Um, if you don't leverage those videos, you could be wandering a level for 30 minutes when that's not even the level you need to go to to get the remaining Tinykin for the trophy to Does pop. Does the menu show you total number of Tinykin or total per level? So like when you go into each, each of the level. six worlds, it gives you, you start over basically. Mm -hmm. So it, it says, hey, for this level, you need X amount. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, last thing I'll say, we can't talk about 3D platformers of any kind or video games in general without talking about them tunes. And holy moly, this soundtrack slaps so hard. So hard. <laughs> I, when I was prepping for the show last night, I had it up on Spotify. I was listening to it. Um, not to brag, but the composer has liked two of my tiny kin tweets to this point. Uh, we're pretty close. We're probably going to grab coffee. <laughs> we're basically um, related now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that was pretty special. Uh, wonderful soundtrack perfectly complements the game. It builds upon itself, um, as you navigate these environments, uh, and very Ger Grant Kirkhope like fashion. If you played Banjo-Kazooie, you know, when you go underwater and kind of just the mood of the song kind of changes a little bit, this game does the same thing depending on where you're at in the level, depending on what's going on. It's just terrific. It's so good. I usually don't listen i'm not i don't listen to music i don't really hear it in games um it's more just enhances the environment um this one just it's like you said slaps hard and it does change throughout each level like the first level you have a main objective in each one of the rooms and you're going through and you're like this is a jam okay i'm loving this so tapping a little bit and then you hit the main objective and it just turns it to 11 like mm -hmm. you're like holy crap and then like you have that you've completed the objective and as you're exploring the room you have that upbeat version of it that enhanced version of the bass kind of soundtrack for that room and it's so good mm -hmm. i i'm i'm loving all of 
at least the three rooms that I explored. Yeah. I've explored. And if they ever come out with a sequel, I literally don't need them to really change anything. I just want more to explore. Take me to another house. Mm-hmm. Maybe go back to like the 1950s or something like that because this house is in the 1990s. So you're going to come across VHS tapes, tape players, CD, all kinds of stuff that you'd expect to see. Like if you've played Gone Home, a lot of memorabilia from the 1990s is just littered across these environments. It's just so good. So if you're tweeting at the the people, do you know how big the studio is? Is it relatively small? Is this like one of their first titles? I don't know if you've looked into any of that. I think the developers called Splash Team or something like that. Okay. I I don't know if they've made any previous games. Um, I really don't. But man, I hope they already are working hard on Tinykin DLC or a Tinykin <laughs> Two because yeah. I'd be there day one. Oh, for sure. No, but, this, is a, this is a great game. Um, go play Tinykin. You can get it on virtually any platform you want. Um, another last thing I'll say. I'm, I know we're, we've been going on for <laughs> twenty minutes on Tinykin. You know I love my trophies. You know I love my platinums. And I felt like I played KO the Kangaroo this week as well. I'm not going to really talk much about that. It's a pretty fun 3D platformer, level-based, um, not in the way of Tunic, or not in the way of Tinykin, um, very you know corridor-based, linear levels, collectibles on the way, along the way. You play as a kangaroo. The platinum in that is basically just collect everything and um, beat the game. Okay. Tinykin, you get trophies for just all of these goofy little fun things that you do around the level. A lot of it you don't even do on purpose. It's just accidental things and a trophy pops and it's like, oh my God, that's that so cool. That's clever. I love that. Yeah, I was surprised how often they were popping. Yeah. It's great. Like I, I fell to my death once and they're like, ha you fell to your death, trophy. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, cool. All right. Yeah. Making progress. So good. So please play Tinykin. It's wonderful. Such a treat. And relatively inexpensive. I mean, you can get it for 20 bucks. And like you said, I, I would have absolutely paid, paid full price for this. And I'm going to be on the lookout for a physical copy. Yeah. If they ever or print a vinyl, it. if they have it, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fan gamer, please. Let's print some vinyl for this game. It's so, so freaking good. But you know what was also pretty good, Ryan? Hmm, the Game Awards, maybe? The Game Awards. Now, for whatever reason, you weren't able to tune into the Game Awards or you have no idea what they are. Uh, They're exactly what the name implies. So I think dating back to 2004, they used to be the Spike Game Awards and they were a little bit more edgy back then. Uh, I think back in 2014 is when Jeff Keighley took over for hosting them. And it's just an opportunity to celebrate the industry, talk about the year that was ranging from a number of different categories, you know, best score, best performance, best game, obviously, best indie Esports stuff is is highlighted as well. There's just a ton of different categories, and it's just a chance for the industry to come together and, and really celebrate the medium. And so we won't go down each and every award or um, the different announcements. But one of the cool things about the Game Awards is there, there tends to be a couple fun announcements, mm-hmm. game reveals, stuff like that. So it's a good time, and we uh, I invited you over. We, um, we got some chicken wings. We got some uh, pretzels with beer cheese. Tons of snacks. We did it up, as you have to, for the Game Awards. And uh, we are going to tune in to our good pal, Pete Dorr. But then our other pal in front of the show, Blink, was reacting to it on Twitch. So we hopped into his Twitch. We had it on the big screen. And uh, we were just having a fun little watch party of the Game Awards. For all six hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was long, dude. It was really long. By the end, I mean, you didn't even stay the whole time. Yeah, I, I mean, it, we, 
I got here around seven. It started the pre-show started at seven thirty. And by like ten fifteen, I'm like, it's nearly three hours of this. And I know it like the pre-show doesn't necessarily count, but there's some good announcements. It ended up going to like eleven o'clock. Mm-hmm. I ended up finishing out Blink Stream for Game of the Year at my place, but that's just so long. It is. And it's not like bombshell after bombshell where it can keep your I guess keep your attention for that long or like keep you hyped. But like we're adults now. Like mm-hmm. we have to get up early for work and like ten o'clock I think is my bedtime. Yeah, it was it was a long thing. I guess overall I thought the pacing was pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the reveals were strong as well. I mean, there were some things that I never would have anticipated. Uh, not necessarily catering to me specifically and my interest in games, but uh, as we'll get in here, get into here shortly, it got me interested to want to go back and play certain games yep. or play certain series. So uh, for that, I thought it was entertaining. It was fun hanging out with our pals Blink and that entire community was um, it's always a good time. So time. Um, let's just get into maybe start with some of the award highlights okay? and then we'll kind of transition into um, some of the actual reveals and stuff. But one of the things that we had talked about um, last week or during the last episode, when we were kind of predicting what uh, what games might win for some particular categories. Two of the categories were best indie game of the year and then also best debut indie for a particular independent studio. Both of those went to Stray and uh, we briefly mentioned it earlier in the show. A little disappointed for me. I uh, was hoping that Tunic would win one of those awards. Yep. But um, I guess no surprise that Stray won both of them. I mean, the second it got nominated for Game of the Year category, you're like, okay, they're going to push Tunic under the rug. But, and it's maybe like we were talking about, I didn't connect as much with Stray as I did with Tunic. I Tunic definitely deserves at least one of those, for sure. Yeah, so a little bum there. Uh, but I mean, if I reflect back on the year when Tunic first came out on Xbox I think that may have been like March or April time frame. And then Stray came out like early summer. I really don't remember anyone tweeting or talking about Tunic when it came out. But when Stray came out, I felt like everyone was posting cat pictures. There were all kinds of memes going around of people playing the game and their real life cats in their home going up to their televisions and like poking at it and sniffing it and wondering like what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So I just felt like Stray definitely had a lot more visibility over the course of the year. And uh, I'd have to imagine more people probably played it, too. Yeah, I mean, I'd say almost the Xbox-only release for the six first six months kind of crippled Tunic in their visibility mm-hmm. uh, because no one has Xbox or plays Xbox. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but when it get, I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, I And there's people love their cats. Yeah. So, yeah, they lost. I mean, I would pick I would be posting me and my fox pictures but i don't know next you don't have a and you don't have a pet fox yeah so. i mean i'm missing the key components of those pictures <laughs> that's right um next up we had best performance which was kind of interesting so al pacino of you know scarface and godfather fame comes out to introduce the award guy is like struggling to read the screen <laughs> subtitles which i thought was honestly i think it was purposeful like he he literally or an accident like he couldn't read the teleprompter but it kind of reminded me of like 98% of games nowadays when there's subtitles mm-hmm. and it's like microscopic text that no one can read or see 
yeah, it's either too big or way too small. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no happy medium. I feel like there should be a slider. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a few other people who were presenting. They were like squinting or having a, a trouble reading the prompt. Yeah. Um, but it was it was weird to have him out there. Yeah. Like Keanu Reeves, I get because of cyberpunk. But yeah, he is not. He's like, I can't read this. This is a pain in the ass. And then he's like, I don't play games, but I like my grandkids are playing games. So I guess I'm here because of that, I guess. Yeah, that so, was uh, it was cool. odd. But um, whatever. Scar- uh, yeah. Why not? Al Pacino. Let's do it. Um, so anyways, he's presenting the award category for best performance. So a number of nominees and uh, I thought very deserving. The award went to Christopher Judge for mm-hmm. his reprisal of Kratos in God of War Ragnarok. And um, he came up to the stage and uh, he had some things to say. He did in a very slow manner. You should, I mean, he's articulate for sure. Yeah. It, it's just, and uh, maybe the detriment of being articulate is you're slow to speak yeah. or you're thinking through it, but. He thought through it for nine minutes. <laughs> I mean, it was heartwarming. Don't get me wrong. He did a freaking fantastic job in both the God of War games. But like, whew, by the end, it was we had to mute it because it was just, oh, please get off stage. <laughs> it was it was cringy only because like I love him so much and I have such a profound respect for the man um, that I, I felt bad for him. Like, bro, like. Just just figure out what you want to say and just spit it out and get off the stage because this this is getting like physically uncomfortable for me. And that you can't play music for him. Like you're you're the best performance of all year. And then like I don't we turned off the sound, but there were a few like really short speeches that they started like doing the music. Of, mm-hmm. Like get the frick off stage. Yeah. Um But it it just kind of kept going and yeah. kept going. And I just I started having these thoughts in my head. Like there was this voice that just kept screaming and I, I, it sounds weird, but I was able to actually, before we sat down to record, record the voice that was in my head. That's terrifying actually. (laughs) And it sounded a little bit like this. Stop, stop, stop. This is not a DVD. 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 Yeah, so that was the voice that was in my head. I don't know where DVDs came from, but yeah, wow, your uh, your inner monologue sounds a lot like Eminem. But say, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, it's your persona. Um, I can see you rapping. Yeah, first time, probably not. But um, yeah, we love Chris. I'm glad he took the moment. He completely embraced it. And um, I also love how Jeff Keighley was like, well, Chris definitely loves to talk. And uh, <laughs> yeah. because he spends so much time talking, yeah. we're definitely going to have to speed some of the rest of this stuff up. Yeah. And he like his next kind of introduction was really quick. It mm-hmm. was like 1.5 speed. Yeah. But uh, glad he won. Glad he took his moments. And I mean, my goodness, he was so deserving of it, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you played Ragnarok. But uh, speaking of Ragnarok, this next one, I was a little disappointed in um, the winner. Best score in music. We had Plague Tale Requiem as a nominee, Elden Ring, Metal Hellsinger, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, and Bear McCreary for God of War, Ragnarok the Composer, ended up winning this. And I was disappointed because I feel like if you asked 10 people who played Ragnarok right after they finished it, what was your favorite song in the game? 10 out of 10 people were going to say, what was that song that played in the credits? I don't really remember much before that. 
No, it's added the intro theme, which would have been nominated for, I guess, the 2018 version. Um, besides that, I don't really remember any music throughout the entire game. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, it was, I mean, my vote was for Elden Ring. I love the boss themes. They're so orchestral and intense, and they fit the mood really well. Um, it's been a while since I played a Xenoblade Chronicle. You've played it more recently, but I think that was your pick, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I thought... I don't think Xenoblade Chronicles 3 won any of the other awards. RPG of the Year, did that go to Elden Ring? I don't really remember. I, I'd assume so. I can actually confirm best role-playing game was Elden Ring. Yeah. Okay, that's so, um So, yeah, I was really kind of bummed that Xenoblade Chronicles 3 didn't, looks like, win any of the awards, I don't think. And I feel like it was gonna if it was going to win any of them, the soundtrack would have been the most deserving. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised they don't break out RPG and JRPG. I feel like those are very distinct categories. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's tough, but um, little bummed that Xenoblade Chronicles 3 didn't get its spotlight there. Um, I really don't have many of the other awards here highlighted. I just thought we'd probably roll right into the game of the year, Mm -hmm. which... This is where things get interesting. So if you didn't watch the Game Awards, I think it'd be difficult if you have a Twitter account or a social media account of any kind. I'm sure it's trending on TikTok. I don't have a TikTok, so I can't say speak to that. Instagram reels, whatever. If you even mention the word video games and your uh, phone picks up that, this clip probably rolled across your social media feeds at some point over the past couple of days. But um joseph who of course was the director over it takes two mm-hmm. he won last year for game of the year he comes up to the stage to introduce the nominees for game of the year this year and uh, i loved how he also prefaced his speech by like i'm gonna keep this pretty short because jeff asked me to or something like that. <laughs> he's just great i i want more of him he, give him a show or something I mean, love- he's talking about goosebumps and like hairy arms and stuff and you're like dude you can ramble on for Give us a like nine minute monologue of you. <laughs> well, the best thing last year is when he won the game of the year for It Takes Two. And he's like, everyone should have kids. I can't even believe they allow you to have those things. <laughs> he's like, go get yourself one. Um, uh, Joseph, God bless you. You're the best. Uh, but anyway, so he comes out very calm, cool and collected, says, here are the nominees. And uh, I really thought that God of War Ragnarok was going to win. I was hoping Elden Ring would. Mm-hmm. But um, thankfully, the most deserving game of the year, one game of the year, and Elden Ring won. So I, me- I didn't think Horizon even had a chance. Like, no, it, it's unfortunate. And maybe Horizon Three will have a chance. It's just if I were Horizon, I would have pushed my, I guess, release schedule back a couple weeks because after a week of being out, Elden Ring completely destroys your hype. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate because it was, it was a great game. It was. Um, but t- against Titans, you're, you're not going to win God no. of War and Elden Ring. No. Uh, well, so- or Stray, the other mysterious Titan. That's yeah, for there. sure. Um, I mean, if there was ever a Mount Rushmore video game, Stray would have to be on there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it'd be Mario, Link, <laughs> probably Kratos, and then a little cat face. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyways, so Miyazaki-san and I, I, I presume some of the other Elden Ring from Software staff and Miyazaki's translator, they're high-fiving people in the crowd. They're walking up. There's about four of these guys. And um, at this point, I'd already transitioned from the family room. I took a laptop into the, the bedroom at this point, and Lauren and I are kind of sitting there, still have Blink stream up. 
Miyazaki walks up to the stage. The four of them are there. Miyazaki starts talking. His translator's translating. I never at any point, because again, I'm watching on a laptop. The screen isn't very that isn't really that big. And, and Blink was just kind of like observing. He was just listening. Wasn't really talking or commentating over Miyazaki's speech necessarily. And at some point, I kind of noticed this little kid <laughs> standing behind the four of these guys. But I really didn't think much about it at all. I, I was confused because there's a very distinct look between the two. I mean, there's four Japanese men and then this like short kid. Yeah. And you're like, all right. And I was thinking, I mean, God of War, they... I mean, he would be like a Sonny or like a Trace's actor. Yeah. And I'm like, Elden Ring doesn't really have any kids that would like voice over stuff. Like it's, and even for Sekiro, it was just those four dudes mm-hmm. just accepting. And I was like, who the hell? And he was just behind everyone, just sneaking in there. Yeah. So then things take a turn for, I would say the worst, where Miyazaki finishes up his speech, the crowd crazy applause deservedly so standing ovation one wonderful the camera starts to zoom out but just as the camera starts to zoom out and Miyazaki finishes his speech because at that point the camera's still kind of zeroed in on the four people and this kid being captured in the background the kid starts to walk up to the microphone so I'm thinking like what is this kid about to speak and say something so Lauren and I again we're sitting there we're watching we're tuning into this this kid walks up to the mic and this is what he said the first couple of words, I'm only, I don't know if this is an exact capturing of what he said. This is my, um, I've listened back to the clip like 10 to 15 times at this point. This is what I thought he said. He says, hey, Martin, yo, real quick, I want to thank everybody and say that I think I want to nominate this award to my reformed, unorthodox rabbi, Bill Clinton. <laughs> thank you, everybody. And then the camera zoomed out. And as he's finishing this sentence, you see like five to six security guards coming from the right and the left to escort this kid off the stage. And they tase him and they just whip him off stage. And Both of his legs were cut off. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Jeff Keeley pans to him and he's like, well, quite an eventful evening. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the Game Awards. We really appreciate it. Yada, yada, yada. So, ah, dude, clearly the kid was not supposed to be there. Yeah. At this point, you know, Blink, everyone else. Pete Dora went back, was watching his reaction. Everyone was like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) Like, what was going on there that clearly wasn't supposed to happen? And my biggest takeaway is it just sucks that that moment is not going to be remembered because Elden Ring won game of the year. It's what happened after the fact that this kid took away that moment from Miyazaki and the entire From Software team. Me too, because like I go back and I watch the them accepting the Sekiro Game of the Year clip, and it ends like nicely as it should, and it stands the test of time as they won the game or they won the award, and they can say like give their speeches. And this one's always going to have that end bookend of this kid talking about Bill Clinton being a rabbi now, and it's just it's not crisp, and like the Japanese culture is so much about respect, mm-hmm. they're not going to be like. Miyazaki's not going to rip this dude off and like get the fuck off the stage. Yeah. And I think they're very much like talking back to between each you, like between Between the two of them. Yeah. Like who is this? What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it is sad. I I feel bad for them. I'm really glad they won their award. Um, There were some interesting things that they said in the speech that they gave. Um, 
everyone kind of thought Miyazaki's kind of magnum opus, his kind of send off, if you were to end on producing games, would be Elden Ring because it does encompass most of his previous works. Um, but he does say like he in his speech that he has a lot of creative things that he wants to do in the future, mm-hmm. which gives us hope and like we're all for it. Just give us more. You're great. And then the other thing he does confirm, they did release DLC in the form of a free update for PvP arenas, which is going great. But they did confirm there is more to come for Elden Ring. Yeah, so that's exciting. Um, I'm not done talking about this kid, though. There's a couple Oh, more. I, I, know you're, I knew you were going to circle back, so I wanted to get that in there before it just gets completely railroaded. <laughs> yeah, so a couple of the things... I w- Sit down, Miyazaki. The boy's back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A couple of the things I want to I touch on. So first of all, thank God that this was just a stupid prank and that's all that happened. Because for how easily this kid, if you play back the video, he was in a completely different aisle than Miyazaki and his team. He just walked down, was clapping, and walked right up on stage, was patting these guys in the back, helping to direct them to the microphone. Like, it was so bizarre and honestly kind of freaky how quickly this kid, or easily this kid, took the stage and and did what he did. And thank goodness he didn't, like, I mean, he could have pulled out, like, a, a pen or a weapon. Like, assassinated some... Miyazaki. Literally. Like- I mean, they're, I, I, I mean, these are executives and like high up in companies. I mean, they could have assassinated what's his face from Xbox, the head of Phil Spencer. Yeah, anything could have happened. I mean, because there were really no security measures in place, uh, which is scary. Of course, moving forward, I assume (laughs) that future game awards ceremonies will have security in the front of the stage to ensure that no one sneaks up there with these people. But I have to wonder. If God of War Ragnarok won, and you have Eric Williams, the director of the game, you you have freaking, you really think Christopher Judge is not going to stop this kid? <laughs> like he would probably the mountain crush his head, kind yeah. of thing. There's no, I wouldn't think. And again, this the crazy thing is this kid was arrested after the fact. He's 15 years old, so he was released, and now every game's media outlet is interviewing him and trying to understand his motive for going up on the stage. And he's constantly stayed in character the entire time. I've listened to a couple interviews and he just talks about wanting to bring awareness to Bill Clinton as a rabbi. And obviously, (laughs) naturally, the question has come up. Was this some anti-Semitic move? Obviously, all the nonsense with Kanye West has happened recently. And he's been pretty adamant about saying like, no, I'm Jewish myself. This has nothing... This I is, can't tell if he's a troll or he's just a stupid kid. It's tough I, to know. Yeah. but it, Probably somewhere in the middle. Well, and this is probably an apples to oranges comparison, but like the last time I was this caught off guard watching something live, live television, was... Taylor Swift. No, I ne- I didn't watch the Kanye West thing when, she, okay. when he like came up on stage and said Beyonce should have won or whatever. But 18 years ago, Ryan, I was... Watching Super Bowl thirty eight. Oh, Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson. The wardrobe scandal. Yeah. Like, or the wardrobe malfunction with JT and Janet Jackson. They're doing their thing. I'm sitting there with my friends. My parents threw a party. They're up there playing euchre, watching the Super Bowl. And there Bowl. was no delay no. at that time. And my friends and I, I was ten years old at the time, eleven. Mm-hmm. And we all look at each other like, did did I just see what I think I just saw? <laughs> yeah. You know, it was just so bizarre. And this is the same thing. Like, did that really just happen? Yeah, no, I I have vague memories of that happening. That like, all the parents going like, oh, yeah, turn, <laughs> turn it off, turn it off, or yeah. like mute it, or like get the kids out of here, kind of thing. Um, yeah, that was a big one. 
I don't. We'll have to go. We'll have to talk off air about that because I don't remember any of like the blowback of what ended up happening. To yeah, QT I don't know. After that, but yeah, this is a really weird one. I mean, I don't remember. And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think anything's like this has happened, at least at the Game Awards in the past. No, nothing like this that I can remember or know of. But what I don't understand is immediately when that kid was up on the stage, Jeff Keighley, security, everyone had to have known that that kid didn't belong. There's there's nobody that thought that kid is so deserving of that spot. He's probably going to have a piece to say about. And and that's not even profiling. That's just like. That's he's clearly not part of the team, like yeah. a 15 year old kid versus like the Miyazaki squad. Yeah, there, there's no reason he should be up there. But even worse, when Miyazaki finishes his speech, it was over. The camera starts panning out. That mic should have been cut immediately. Mm-hmm. It was cut and re-enabled when this kid started speaking and the camera went back to him. Never should have happened. They could have they should have cut the stream right then and there. I just don't, someone had to have lost their job from the production team. Yeah. I just don't understand it. It is mind boggling to me. But it got past all the other kind of checkpoints to that point. And like, if no one else did anything, them cutting the mic and then bringing it back on, they could have been like, maybe he's supposed to be part of it. How did this kid get into this place? That's what I don't get. Yeah. And in the interviews you were showing before this, he doesn't even play video games. So like. He has a YouTube channel talking about police brutality in China. I mean, it's a good topic, but not when it comes to Elden Ring. (laughs) It's just bizarre. It's it's really weird. I just I can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, it's kind of marred this year's Game Awards, but it's the memes are fantastic. (laughs) I'm all for those memes. The Dark Souls memes are pretty great. Um, (laughs) Very unfortunate that Miyazaki's moment kind of gotten um, kind of got superseded by this weirdo kid. Um, But I'm still happy Elden Ring won Game of the Year. I mean, it's crazy that at the last four Game of the Year, FromSoft's won two of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sekiro and Elden Ring. Yeah. It says something. It really does. Um, but uh, speaking of From Software, Ryan, we got to get into some announcements. Okay. Enough of uh, Bill Clinton, kid. We just <laughs> we need to stop that right now. Um, I have a ton of announcements here. I'm just going to kind of rattle through these. I know you've gotten some written down and uh, these are in no particular order to me. Um, I just pulled an article, I think maybe from IGN and was kind of scribbling these down in preparation for the show. So we can kind of talk through them, share our thoughts and excitement or lack of excitement for some of these things. How does that sound? Sounds good. So first of my list, uh, my 2019 game of the year, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is getting a sequel. Uh, we already knew it was going to be called Star Wars Jedi Survivor. We didn't know when it was going to come. We haven't seen footage at this point, but we got an official trailer and a release date of March 17th, 2023. We got more of our, we got more of our boy Cal. We got more BD BD1. BD1? Yeah. Oh, dude, looks fantastic. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, there was an actual Bacta tank on stage and then they dropped the curtain and was like, "Here's the world premiere." Yeah. It, that was pretty sweet. It, it was really cool. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited. A lot of new enemies, it looks like. A lot of new finishing moves from what I remember. I love this game. I, I think this is probably the best developed main character since the original six. I mean, kind of better than the sequels. Um, 
I, I had a great time. The first one was janky, which made it great. Mm-hmm. Um, combat was very much Sekiro-esque, which for me is fantastic. Um, and then putting it the skin over of Star Wars, mm-hmm. it worked really well. It did. Yeah, I can't wait to play this. I can't believe it's already coming so soon. Um, I say soon, I mean four years after the first game. Uh, I felt like we just played Fallen Order, though. Mm-hmm. These crazy. last couple of years have flown by. I was expecting... Not so much this game for Star Wars, but the other Star Wars title, kind of the open world one, mm-hmm. to be shown. Because we only saw maybe a theatrical uh, trailer for that six months ago or a year ago at this point. Yeah, Star Wars Eclipse or something like yeah. that. I'm really excited about that yeah. one. But this, I mean, I'm completely happy with another Fallen Order. Yeah, so for those that haven't played Fallen Order, go play it. It's so freaking good. Um, and I think that to this point, they already have like a PS5 patch and Series some X. some DLC as well. Yeah, so it's good. It's great. You can probably get it on the cheap now. Um, loved it. And uh, next on my list, Ryan, Diablo 4 had quite the cinematic trailer. Yes. They, it, they, it was long and intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really was. Uh, Diablo 4 releasing on June 6th, 2023. I thought it looked beautiful. Yeah, I mean, these cinematic trailers and a lot of the comments, and we even made the comments, is I would watch a movie mm-hmm. for that. Or the uh, Elder Scrolls Online, they have some shorts, maybe two to five minutes, like maybe four or five of them. And I had the same impression that I did coming off of this trailer is if Elder Scrolls, they want to put their games on hold and give us a two-hour movie of just Cyrodiil, I'd be all for it. 100%. Yeah. We started to play Diablo 3 over the course of the pandemic. We really didn't go too hard on that. I think we both picked the same class and then we got bored of it. Yeah. Um, I want to say we've seen Diablo 4 gameplay in a previous like uh, award show. We probably have. Like maybe last E3, I think. And it looked great. Yeah. So I'm excited for when they actually show us more gameplay or just g- gameplay in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Diablo 4, uh, nice to see that represented there at the Game Awards. Uh, next thing I have, not really something of interest to me, but others might um, take an interest in this, and that's Crash Team Rumble. So the day before the Game Awards, the Crash Bandicoot Twitter account basically said, what's everyone doing tomorrow? So people were kind of thinking, like, are, is there going to be another mainline uh, Crash Bandicoot game? Because, of course, Crash 4 came out in the past couple of years, mm-hmm. um, was received pretty well. I think it sold well also. Uh, but Crash Team Rumble, it's kind of a hero's and villains of the Crash universe come together for a 4v4 fighting game. So 3D environments, it's not your, it's not like a Smash Brothers clone necessarily. It kind of looked like Splatoon, not because of you have like little splat guns, but just the environments, the arenas that you were fighting in, the 4v4 4v4 style kind of looked similar to like a Splatoon type game. Okay. Yeah, I kind of tuned out for this one after the very cringy entrance of crash yeah that was that was that was definitely reflective of like a spike uh game awards era that's like an old school like maybe 15 years ago 10 years ago like early 2000s that would have been probably acceptable and like (laughs) yeah but now it's just like dead silent in the crowd and no one was laughing yeah it was it was yeah a little cringy a little cringy for sure yeah so crash team rumble not really a game for us no no um i'm sure somebody out there's excited about it Uh, next up on my list one of my most anticipated games going into next year if not my most anticipated 
Final Fantasy 16. Yeah, for sure. Game looks freaking gorgeous. Um, I think the first time we saw this, you know, a lot of people were talking about it not looking that great. Kind of looks like an early PS4 game, uh, which makes sense because I think the first time we really saw this was back in 2020. But the game looks really impressive graphically now. It does. And I just, I love the much more mature themes in this one. Love the dark fantasy elements that they're leaning into. I can't wait, especially coming away from, I personally loved Final Fantasy 15. I played that over the course of the pandemic. I know a lot of people talk about that game being a different game when it first launched. It's come a long way since then. Uh, But even the game that you can play nowadays, it's a bro adventure. You're going on a road trip. Again, I personally connected with it a lot more uh, than just a bro adventure, you know, on the road with your buddies type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still trying to encourage you to play that game because especially for fans of Monster Hunter, I feel like they'd really get a kick out of it. But Yeah. And I just, I fit that bro adventure you vibe. Do. You definitely got the, <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I do relate a lot to Noxus and just pulling weapons out of thin air. Mm-hmm. But I eventually... Mean, um, this one really excited me too. Um, it, it's really hard for me to get into JRPGs nowadays. Mm-hmm. It, it's just the the mountain that you have to climb, the sixty two endless journey that you're going to be playing. I don't know scale wise. I mean, a lot of those monsters, and I don't know if they're summons or what you turn into. Is that the normal scale of the kind of battles? I know you fight a giant mountain turtle in fifteen. That mm-hmm. takes like two and a half hours to beat. Yeah. But is this kind of par for the course for the scale of the combat? Uh, I mean, this is more action focused, right? Okay. And I, I think that's what a lot of Final Fantasy 15 was. It was action RPG. It wasn't turn based. Of course, we've gotten away from the paradigm system of the 13 series. But um, yeah, I mean, I think they're taking this in some unique directions. I don't really know a whole lot about the summons and the Titan battles that you seem to be able to fight in this game. I mean, it almost looks like a one V one fighting game with these summons facing each other. I've purposely stayed away from details from this game outside of some of these trailers, just because I want to go in uh, knowing as little as possible. Uh, So to say this is par for the course from earlier final fantasy games, I would say it's not. I think this is, this is quite a bit different from what we've seen before, but I think the action based style is more similar to, to 15 than anything else okay so and this release is on june 22nd 2023 Uh, 2023 is just shaping up to be a banger year for games um yeah if 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 these teams continue to make these dates i mean the first half of the year alone is going to be insane yeah no kidding but um all good things for your wallets out guys exactly (laughs) here come the games exactly um next up on my list talking about from software i think we kind of predicted this game because it was somewhat rumored armored core six yeah i think they accidentally posted like a link on their website or like grabbed the domain way too early that quickly got deleted so it it was pretty well confirmed before this yeah so armored core six fires of rubicon Uh, if you like mechs you'll probably like this 2023 release window i personally have not played any of the earlier Armored Core games on PS1 and PS2, I know there's definitely an audience for that. But I mean, just given FromSoft's recent track record over the record over the past decade, I totally give this game a shot. Yeah, me too. I mean, I was 
I kind of figured what it would look like. I went back and watched some gameplay of, I think, five, maybe the last one. It looked fun. I mean, we'll have to see when we actually get gameplay. Because this was just a theatrical or kind cinematic. Of a cinematic. Yeah. 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 So, again, there's definitely an audience there for that. Not really my cup of tea, but um, I'd like to give it a try. Yeah, me too. Speaking of giving things a try, I talked earlier in the episode about wanting to go back and play Hades because, holy moly, people, Hades 2. I did not expect this this quick. Oh, my. Yeah, seriously. Because it was, what, Game of the Year contender for 2020. I think so, yeah. So it lost to Last of Us Part Mm -hmm. 2. And that's only two years ago. I mean, that's a quick turnaround. I mean, they have the foundation, I'm assuming, I don't know how difficult the art style is, but the con- the combat in the first one was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it did definitely deserves the contender for Game of the Year. Um, and this, I mean, the cinematic trailer for this looked awesome. And then we got some gameplay already. Yeah. It looks beautiful. I mean, just the level of detail graphically, just it unique looks, style. It looks more magical mm-hmm. almost than the original from what I remember. I'm I'm excited for this. Yeah. One. Yeah, me too. Um and the cool thing too, I can pick up a copy of Hades on PS5 for like less than 15 bucks. Yeah, it's so, really nice. I'm looking forward to giving that a try. And I think early access in 2023 for Hades 2 from what I've read. So I'm not really sure what that means, if we're going to get a full game release in 2023 or not. But regardless, more Hades in the pipeline, that's always a good thing. So, And there was a game similar to this, was it Judas? Which I think launched before that trailer for Hades 2. So this is completely unlike Hades, but this is Ken Levine's, Ken Levine's, of course, famed or famous uh, game developer, director, whatever you want to say. He is responsible for creating Bioshock and eventually Bioshock Infinite. So big Bioshock energy from this particular trailer. This legitimately could have been titled like Bioshock Reborn or... Bioshock insert subtitle here or even like number four or three and I would have believed it because it just felt like a successor to the Bioshock series Mm -hmm. which to me is music to my ears because Bioshock one of my favorite games of all time Bioshock Infinite I played it back in 2020 I believe and I mean I talked about on the last episode when you beat these games it's like sit down with a cigar and like a bottle of bourbon and your best friend, because you need to talk about what the hell went on. It's yeah. You've been singing the, the praises for that game and that series for a while. And that's one of the series that I've never fully gone through. And there's a few that you look down upon me for. Um, I think mass effects, one Bioshock's another, and then the shadow of Mordor. Trilogy, or I guess the two of them. Final Fantasy 13, ukulele. We, we can just keep it. You know <laughs> the, I mean? There's a list and there's hatred and tension between us because of it. Yeah. Um, but I feel like this, with this one coming out, even not being associated directly with the main line, um, I, I think that's one of the ones I'd be happy to try. Mm. Next yeah. Week. So I didn't get any indication of when this game is coming. Um, I out this is a 2023 release but there's been rumors going around that ken had a new bioshock like game in development for years now yeah and so i'd have to believe that maybe next year at e3 will get like a a stronger reveal more gameplay and a better indication of when this game's coming out yep so um major hype for that i'm so excited to see what's next uh for that game Uh, next up we got a crazy trailer 
and that was DS2. So we're getting a sequel to the Nintendo DS, and it was created by Hideo Kojima. So um, there was a twist that we didn't see coming. No, but we're all for it. Yeah, give us those spooky DSs. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so I presume this is Death Stranding too. Yeah. Uh, the trailer was certainly indicative of that. And uh, Kojima said that he actually had the entire story for Death Stranding 2 written, um, but he rewrote the whole thing from scratch following the onset of the pandemic. Because he, pre- he didn't want to predict another <laughs> like pandemic. Yeah. And it got me thinking, too, when I was kind of preparing notes for the show, how many games, movies, or books do you think took a similar approach? Like, over the course of the pandemic, obviously things were going to be delayed, and it forced them to kind of kind of go back to the drawing board from a creative perspective. I mean, Plague's Tale definitely didn't. Um, I feel like the Simpsons, they predict all everything, so they, they're still going full steam. No, I mean, like, when everything was locked down because of quarantine, like, how many people that are responsible... Like, our stories are directly tied into, like, viral diseases. Not even that. I, I guess, yeah. I, I guess he probably did that because the, th- thematically it was probably similar mm-hmm. to the pandemic. But I, I was more curious, like from a creative perspective, you have this vision for something. Now you're kind of forced in your room with your thoughts for the next two years. How does that alter your vision creatively for something that you're creating, whether it's a movie script, it's a book, it's a it's a game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unrelated prob- to the pandemic itself, more just you're forced into you're quarantine. just you're forced into your thoughts. Exactly. And like. Re, like re constantly rewriting stuff. Oh, probably a ton. I mean, I have to wonder how many times because I think George R. R. Martin has only written three paragraphs since the past since the pandemic probably started. Yeah, for his next book, and I have to wonder how many times those three paragraphs have changed. I mean, I think he's even addressed that. Is like he goes back and rewrites it. Just I mean, even watching the original show, mm-hmm. it's just like he gets in his head. He's going to croak long before any of the books or like the future books come out. I think it was recently confirmed that he has 500 more pages to go before he finishes the book, which will take him years. And that's he didn't that's not series. That's book. Yeah. So so there's another one after that. He needs to get out. (laughs) So another thousand pages. (laughs) Yeah. We're never going to know. The actual don't hold your breath game of thrones fans luckily he has two people who know the lore better than he does Mm. like gender of horses that he referenced like three books back that he like switches up that edit his stuff okay like you met referenced a male horse and it's actually a female horse um so i think it is in good hands but like yeah that that's never gonna come out it's gonna take a while but um yeah death training too i mean this really got me excited you and i've talked a ton of times over the past couple of years how badly one of us wants to go back and at least play Death Stranding. You you more so, hey, I'll sit on the couch and watch you while I'm playing RuneScape or something, but I'm not really interested in <laughs> controlling. Well, and- that's a, a lofty assumption that I would be uh, playing the scapes. Yeah. I, I think it's, and it's not so much the gameplay where you're walking, trying to deliver babies or packages or whatever the hell. It, it's the supernatural aspect that I find really interesting. The the hidden footprints or the death stranding where like things are like cities are destroyed by a footprint or a handprint or whatever. It's the underlying stuff that's interesting, but not the gameplay. Yeah. No, I think this almost looked like a prequel. Yeah. Cause like the babies weren't in their pods. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I looked up some of the lore on like where the actual original game goes, but 
if there's a second one and you want to sit down and play it and I'll watch, I'm all for it. Well, I have the director's cut for Death Stranding 1, so I do want to get around to it. It's not a matter of if, it's when. Um, so maybe next year. Um, I don't think we got an indication of when this game's coming. I could be wrong. Again, Chrono's Correction Corner for any of the stuff that we get on, we get wrong here. Um, but yeah, Death Stranding 2, wild trailer. Uh, I have two more things on my list. The next up, Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. I think the main thing to highlight here is there was a wonderful tribute to Kevin Conroy, who's voiced Batman, dating back to the animated series from the early 90s uh, into the Arkham games. He's going to be voicing Batman one final time in this particular game. He, of course, tragically passed away at the age of 66 earlier this year. So I thought it was wonderful to include a tribute to him and also um, just knowing that we have his voice captured one more time as the iconic character, I think is just really special. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, there's been a lot of Marvel DC stuff that I mean, we were commenting. We were watching it. It was like, we've seen this, this has been delayed. But when it went into the tribute, it's like, OK, I, I'm completely fine with them giving us just this short mm-hmm. to kind of give that send off. Yeah. So that was pretty neat. Um, I guess another game on my list that I looked down upon or looked down upon you, I guess, is that you've yet to play the Arkham games, too. So. Dude, add it to the list. Yeah, Arkham Asylum. <laughs> I own them. It's just, it's playing them. That's the hard part. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, last on my list is Horizon Forbidden West Burning Shores DLC announced exclusively for PS5. It will not be coming to PS4 because nice. according to the developers, they were not able to capture their true vision for the DLC if they had to develop it for uh, PS4 as well. This arrives in a- April and... New Adventures will take Aloy to Los Angeles, uh, complete with the Hollywood sign on display in the trailer. So April 19th next year. I'm pretty pumped about this. Yeah, I mean, I played through, I mean, both the games, but the DLC for the first one as well. I mean, they they did a good job with that. So I expect this DLC to be a similar caliber. Mm-hmm. Good time. And I mean, Horizon was a fun game, so expect more monsters, more machines furthering the plot. Yeah, and I'm excited about that too because... You know, we talked earlier in the year that that game just didn't quite, it, it really didn't meet my expectations, I guess I want to say. We'll talk more about it for Game of the Year conversation, I'm sure. Um, and maybe it, I just had too you, too big of expectations or something. The problem is, so I was happy to play it. It, it was, originally I wasn't going to play it because I had a week to shove a 40 to 60 hour game in before Elden Ring came out that following Friday. Um, and I think you bashed it in there as well, kind of against what you really wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's we were playing it when we didn't want to or just be that deadline that we were bumping up against. Um, I really liked some of the twists and turns in the original just because we didn't have a foundation to work off of. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to build on top of that with an equally compelling story. I mean, I think the stakes are equally as high to the first one kind of or they furthered in a good way and send it into a different direction that doesn't feel stale but yeah. it, it i think the first one for me was better yeah i probably tend to agree i just didn't think the story in, in uh forbidden west was as strong but what i was really getting at is i think this dlc will really help me to return to that world probably eventually get the platinum in the base game and um we'll see how it kind of alters my my thoughts once I get around to playing that next year. But um, regardless, I thought it was a strong trailer. I'm excited to go back to that world, even if the base game didn't really wow me 
to a certain extent. But, yeah, and I um, think the first game's DLC like introduced you to a different tribe. Mm-hmm. So like it fleshed out the world a decent amount. So yeah. I'm assuming this one should as well. Yeah, absolutely. But um, that's all I have in terms of announcements. Was there anything else on your list that I? Yeah, didn't I think cover? the only other one, and I kind of mentioned it in the games played, is Dead Cells. Oh we yeah. Had, I mean, I was looking at the character. I'm like, he looks really familiar, and I just couldn't remember what he was from. And then we see started seeing Castlevania characters, and we saw Alucard, we saw Dracula, and I'm like, he obviously doesn't fit into this cast. And what the crossover between Dead Cells and Castlevania, I think it's Return to Castlevania, is the DLC. Um, I think it's whoever whoever hasn't played Dead Cells, I think this would be a good starting point or a good push to create a base game before you go into the DLC. This, I believe, is the fourth or fifth DLC for Dead Cells. So they're mm-hmm. really putting a good effort into fleshing out that game and giving you different experiences. So... Uh, for anyone who hasn't played, I'm sure it's like ten to fifteen dollars tops on PlayStation or even on Switch. It's worth getting. Yeah, I never played Dead Cells, but this is um, exciting because I thought the DLC uh, really interesting crossover. Love the idea. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to maybe check out Dead Cells now. But um, but that's it. That's my wrap of the Game Awards. That those are kind of all of the announcements, twists, turns, crazy, unexpected little kids coming on stage to crash the awards <laughs> ceremony. Um, overall, I think this is like E3, um, always fun to get hype for, predict what's going to happen, and uh, just tuning in and reacting with friends. Yeah, always a good time. I mean, 2022 was a strong year for gaming, mm-hmm. and this is definitely shaping up for next year, or showing us next year will be another strong year. For sure, but... um. With all that said, Ryan, this would be a perfect place to end the show, but we haven't even gotten to the main topic of the show yet. Yeah, it's crazy. We still have to do our holiday special Memory of Melody segment. So go refill your coffees, refill your hot cocoa, get some more marshmallows to top off the cocoa. And uh, Ryan will be back real soon to start the main topic of the show. Right, Ryan, we mentioned it at the top of the show, but now we're getting into Memory of Melodies Holiday Edition. If you are unfamiliar with this segment on the show, it's really just an opportunity for Ryan and I to listen to some great songs that remind us of a particular season. So previously we've done uh, Spooky Season Memory of Melodies, where we listen to some songs that remind us of the spooky season. 
And whether it's from a video game or it could be a song outside of a video game, like uh, when we've done the holiday season memory melodies before, you listen to like Silent Night or uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all that yep. kind of fun stuff. So I have to put a Melee song in there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hyrule Temple. Yeah, exactly. That was last last December. Yep. Last four times we've done this segment. So, so I, I mistakenly have used it twice, but it, it's a fantastic bop. Yes, it is. So really, like I said, an opportunity for us to kind of listen to some banger songs that remind us, um, could be of childhood, could be the past couple of years, but we always want to associate the song with a particular memory. Um, so yeah, cozy on up on the couch, kick your feet up, keep playing those great video games that you are, and uh, we're going to treat you to some wonderful holiday-themed music here. But Ryan, I um I came with four songs today. I kind of instructed you to bring three. We usually do five, mm-hmm. but um, I figured we're probably going to have a pretty lengthy discussion with games played, which we did. We talked about Tinykin for like three and a half hours, <laughs> yep. uh, deservedly so. And then we also talked about the Game Awards. So we're already running uh, an hour and 45 minutes here, and uh, we have seven songs to get through. But why don't you kind of kick it off for us? Uh, what is the first song that we're going to be pulling up and listening to? So I'll give a preface this song before I give the title. So objectively, this is a bad song. Okay. <laughs> and it's all right. I mean, I, I hear the song and my heart kind of drops, but I have so many good memories tied to it. Um, if we're listening to Santa Baby right now, I'm not even going to play it. So uh, back in the day, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Oh, no. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was great. I It was great having her around and like always there when we got off the bus and... It was 2002 when the Clone Wars came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember Anakin swinging his lightsaber to Santa's baby or Santa baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's deleted scenes and like, yeah, it was only on the Santa Christmas episode kind oh. of deleted scenes. But yeah, um, my mom ended up working at Kohl's one season and it was mainly for, I think, the discounts or I, I don't know why, but she ended up getting a really good um, discount on Legos. Oh. And I mean, that year, 2002, you had Clone Wars coming out and I ended up getting and I don't know if it was the same year, but I got the Clone Wars drop ship for Christmas. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it was just an awesome Lego. Um, and then alongside that, and I don't know if it was the year. Be- it was probably the year before. Um, just another great Lego. It was Phantom Menace, that underwater ship that they have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so great, I mean, gigantic Legos, I mean, Legos nowadays, I was looking at the Millennium Falcon, which I bought maybe two or three years ago that I have in my room. It's like 170 bucks now. Like, I, I don't know if it's the tight spec or what about Legos that make them. So, I mean, it's just injection molded Legos with, I mean, the raw materials for a Lego set for like that they're charging us 170 bucks would be two bucks max. Mm -hmm. Um, and it would all be okay. We're not going to talk supply chain about Legos, but fuck <laughs> you and your prices. Yeah. Uh, but my mom, during like suffering through working uh, retail at Kohl's during this season, um, she heard the song "Santa Baby." Oh no! Over and over, and like I heard it yesterday when I was in the gym. I heard it this morning while I was in the gym because my apartment complex gym plays Christmas music now, Mm -hmm. which I don't know why you would ever think that's a good idea in a gym because I've never thought, hmm, 
Christmas music. Let's get jacked up and sweaty to like Carol of the Bells. Maybe, okay, maybe Siberian Orchestra, but like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I'm not getting jacked to that. Santa Baby is definitely the lowest of the totem pole when it comes to jack up songs or yeah. pump up songs. So I thought everyone should uh, listen to the podcast and listen to Santa Baby. Wow, we're forcing our <laughs> listeners' ears into <laughs> this classic, this trash Christmas tune. Yep. Objectively um, bad, I will say. It, it is pretty terrible. But um, yeah, feel free to skip forward two minutes. I would not blame you. But uh, here we is... We don't need to play two minutes. I, I think hard cut at one minute tops. Yeah. Santa Baby, one of Ryan's favorite songs. Boom, 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 boom. Just slip a sable under the tree for me Been an awful good girl, Santa baby So hurry down the chimney tonight Santa baby, a 54 convertible to light blue I'll wait up for you, dear Santa baby So hurry down the chimney tonight Think of all the fun I've missed Think of all the fellas that I haven't kissed Next year I could be just as good if you check off my Christmas list Santa baby I want a yacht and really that's not a lot been an angel all year Santa baby so hurry down the chimney tonight so the best song uh, <laughs> imagine listening to that, like, I mean, this song's overplayed as is, but imagine hearing that six times your shift during your shift, mm. like it's not the most motivational song to keep on going. Like y- you find a door up to the roof and you just want to like jump Yeah. after hearing this. Well, <laughs> so. and I worked, anyone that's worked retail before, especially around the holidays, I think in certainly relate to there's always that one song that you heard way too many times over the course of your shift mm-hmm. uh, i worked at kroger which is a grocery uh chain here in the midwest and i i can't point to a particular song but over that seven year run i know there was a couple where it was like oh my gosh i i can never listen to this song again and it, it i mean christmas songs are different because there's you don't hear a lot of new christmas songs it's always kind of the old When's the last time you heard a new Christmas song? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's been a while. Um, I, I mean, I worked at Noodles and Company, and I don't know if that's just tied to our region, but I don't know. Um, yeah, there's definitely songs that they played that are like, "Please just get me off the shift." Yeah, or, or else I'm gonna burn everything out of rage. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, well, th- uh, this is my first song. Um, good memories tied to Legos, and as much as I hate this song, um, 
some good memories tied to it. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad you can find the silver lining there. <laughs> yeah. um, I did dig a little bit, but it's there. Exactly. Well, I'm definitely going to shift things up a little bit Please. here with my first song. And uh, it's a Pokemon song, Ooh. actually. Uh, a Pokemon game that came out when I was in college. Uh, the specific date was October 12th, 2013. And uh, so not necessarily a game that came out around December, but I do remember playing it over the holidays because I didn't, I don't remember getting Pokemon X is the game, Pokemon X and Y. Mm. I never got this game when it first came out, but what I remember most fondly, the college that I went to a little north of us, winters were brutal because it's in Ohio, (laughs) really flat surfaces, um, kind of farmland. So whenever it was cold, the wind that would cut across campus was literally cutting to a human being. Like it was just wicked temperatures, horrible snowfall. The wind chill was negative zero all the time. Just brutal stuff. But it, to put that into perspective, they canceled school only when it hit negative 40. Yeah. And it hit negative 30 a decent amount. And frostbite at that temperature, you're like, you get frostbite in like 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, we've canceled school a few times based off of that yeah. criteria. So it, it's, it's rough. But what I remember fondly is walking across campus with one of my best friends and uh, he had already gotten Pokemon X before I did. And I just remember him talking to me about all the improvements because to this point, this was kind of beginning to that shift to kind of three 3D models in Pokemon. Yeah, we saw a little one. bit about of it, I think, in Pokemon Black and White 2. Uh, they were beginning to have kind of those those three-dimensional perspectives but pokemon x and y is where we really started to make that turn um but i remember he's like oh my gosh you're not going to believe the graphical style when it looks more 3d you have rollerblades you travel around the world a lot faster which was such a significant quality of life improvement compared to the previous ds and game boy games yeah previously you could just run if you're like holding b and then it's the standard walk which is slow as hell uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a good improvement. But yeah, to get those rollerblades at the very beginning of the game, and what I also remember him talking to me like as his teeth are chattering, our mouths are basically numb because it's so cold and we can't even talk well. He said, "You won't believe how quickly the game saves when you pull up the screen to save your game." Because another thing that you'll remember uh, about the earlier Pokemon games, if you grew up with them, is how long it took to save your game. You 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 pull up the little menu, click save, and it would take like. 45, 30 seconds from my recollection, it, it, but it felt like an eternity as a kid, yeah. right? Um, but anyways, that's just a fond memory of mine, running across campus with him, talking about this game, eventually getting my copy. Remember the week of finals, you know, I'd obviously do my studying, go take my finals, and then get up in my bunk bed, as I often did in college, in the dorm room. I was either playing my Dragon Quest RPGs, or I was grinding it out in Pokemon, and I did the same with Pokemon X, this is probably around the same time where I was either going through Avatar The Last Airbender for the first time Ooh. or binging through Supernatural um, on Netflix. So really fond memories of playing uh, my handheld RPGs, in particular Pokemon X, and uh, that's one that I played over the holiday season as well. But this song in particular is Route 15. This is actually kind of a remixed arrangement that I found in the preparation for this show, and while it doesn't necessarily have a Christmassy feel or, or vibe to the song, uh, it just reminds me of when I was playing during those brutal winters up in college. So Route 15, this again is an arranged version of the song. So let's go ahead and take a listen. 
mean, if that song doesn't get you to flip your hat backwards, get your potions and great balls ready for an adventure, I, I don't know what will. Yeah, I was going to say that definitely. I mean, 15, I don't remember what route they started on. Maybe it's one, maybe it's 10. Um, that's like a start your journey kind of song. Oh, hell yeah. Like you're leaving Pallet Town or you're leaving the starting city and just going out with your first Pokemon. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I was really, I was really impressed because I, I wanted to find a song from this game and um, it's typically what I do in preparation for these types of episodes is uh, the week or two leading up to it, I'll pull like wintry video game music or, you know, October spooky season themed relaxing video game music um, to try and find or um, get memories to kind of resurface about certain games that I played and a different Pokemon X and Y song played. And as I was kind of starting to listen back on that soundtrack one, I was just like, dang, they went so hard on the soundtrack for Pokemon X and Y. Uh, but then I came across this song. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's the good stuff. No, that's surprising. I mean, I I barely remember X and Y. I just remember the giant. But I mean, the, yeah, the music is far better than I remember it. Yeah, that's good to hear. So, a couple quick comments. One of the other things I love doing when I pull these songs from YouTube is going into the comments section and seeing why these songs are special to other people. So, got a couple here for Pokemon X Route 15 theme. This first person says. I've never forgotten how struck I was by this route theme. My mother passed away shortly before these games came out, and this music was very comforting. To this day, it makes my heart swell when I hear it. Um, we've talked about it a number of times how video game music or just video games specifically or in general can kind of really comfort you during those those difficult times. So sure. I'm glad this one kind of resonated with that person. Uh, this next person says, I think this is my favorite route theme in all of Pokemon. I like the mix of epic and happy and a bit of that seasoned melancholy that comes with growing up. It feels so on to more new adventures and I absolutely love it. Um, Completely definitely agree. agree there. Yeah. This next person says X and Y may not be the best Pokemon game ever, but damn, did it have an amazing <laughs> soundtrack, which uh, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Coming off that song. I, I agree. So that's my first choice. Ryan, what do we got to listen to for your number two pick? So for me, my second choice, I have kind of, I don't know if my first and second are tied favorite soundtracks in all of video games. It's between Ori and Octopath. Oh, okay. Um, and for this one, I went with Octopath. Um, this is Ophelia's theme. Okay. And it's the song in a video game that really most reminded me of Christmas going into the area. Mm. And I guess the start out or the area, just to set the scene, is the snowing like kind of snow filled zone up north. Um, and she's a cleric, I believe, or she's a mage, um, but she's working in a church. Um, and I think Silent Night was one of the songs I used last Christmas. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who wasn't listening, basically our family tradition on Christmas was, or Christmas Eve, is to go to a church and go through a service. And then at the end of the service, you have the candles raised or light and sing Silent Night. Mm -hmm. And this song very or was the first or most closely kind of represented just a snowy Christmas Eve. Um, you can the very start of this song very much feels like the notes are individual snowflakes falling. Beautiful. And then you walk up to the church and it has very much church kind of sounds to it. Mm -hmm. And it's it really describes or feels like you're walking into that church for that Christmas Eve service. Love it. All right, well, let's take a listen to, you said it was Ophelia's theme. Yep. From Octopath Traveler, the hit, JRPG. 
yeah so i freaking love this song um it, it's really captures kind of that snowy like small little city with pine trees all around up in the mountains and making your way past kind of warm street lamps as you make your way into in that first section into the church you Mm -hmm. hear the organs and then you kind of get into that section post the church kind of portion where it's actually her theme where you hear the kind of optimism and joy which that character is purely based around like she's the optimism girl of the group um yeah, I, I freaking love really the entire soundtrack, but I love this theme for Christmas. Yeah, I think this soundtrack to Octopath is definitely its strongest feature. Um, and a lot of people had complaints about the story not being as compelling as they wanted it to be, but no one can argue how slapping the Octopath soundtrack is. Yeah. So good. A game I still need to get around to eventually, but um, great pick. Man, that's just a song that doesn't want to quit. It does not. It's six minutes long. There was a minute and 15 second one. But like it, it cuts it so short that mm-hmm. you're like it doesn't really fully capture how great this song is. No, that's good. I'm glad we got the twelve and a half minute version. That was um, <laughs> that was good. That I was, mean, if we want a three or four hour episode, I could give you the full track. But. Perfect. Yeah, maybe next time. Um, maybe not. Uh, no, I'm kidding. That was a great pick. Love it. Um, good stuff. So my next song is a game or from a game I spent eighty hours with last year a game that i've spent 40 hours with this year and over the past couple of weeks and that is a song from assassin's creed valhalla i was gonna say you said 40 or something hours i'm like it has to be one of the 16 assassin's creed in the last year yes so not only does this game take me back to the last holiday season when i played this game for eight hour 80 hours um and it's that first time you hop on your viking ship with your crew you begin sailing the seas, various rivers, raiding villages across England. But it also reminds me of watching the entirety of the Vikings series TV show mm-hmm. that originally aired yeah. on the History Channel. Just how many of those characters were in that show that were also present throughout Val- Valhalla's main quest lines, side quest lines, um, and just the various segments of that game that kind of overlap with the TV show. Um, But this particular song is one that your crew would sing when you'd have to sometimes sail from one end of the map to the other. Mm -hmm. And so anytime you get into your ship, it's almost like controlling the radio in a Grand Theft Auto game. Oh, nice. Where you can say, sing next song, start singing, stop singing. But I just remember when I came across this song on YouTube and I was preparing for the show and trying to find a song from Assassin's Creed Valhalla that might work for this particular segment... And when I listen to this song, I, I remember vividly, you know, the boys, the Vikings, my crew <laughs> singing this song. Because at times when you have to sail from one end of the map to the other, it could take three to five minutes of in-game time to get there. Yeah, You're just sailing the sea, um, you know, treated to the wonderful um, backdrops, whether it's, you know, icy covered mountains or beautiful breathtaking fields across England Whatever it might be, these guys singing kind of perfectly complemented that to and from journey. So this song is called When Horns Resound. So let's take a listen.
second well in Hall of Kings On ocean steed my words gain wings Oh, the speed I forth will bring For noble deeds thine honor sing The brave man slain Valkyrie waits Reward for strain to Valhurtle takes Then horns resound the mighty horn For those who fight, for those who fall For those who fight, for those who fall Warlord weaves his web of fear Each man gets his fate and share A blood red search the warrior shield Ravens scan the battlefield Ravens scan the battlefield The meat and grace are trained I mean, come on, Ryan, are you ready to take up your axe? I am. I really hope after Silent Night next Christmas season, I think we should add this to the uh, li- the song list that we chant. <laughs> yeah, you can slip this under the uh, the table of the uh, the pastor. I don't know if he's going to like want to play this song. I, I think the church would get into it. I think yeah. they'd be you know, just candles up, everyone bring an axe and get, you know, let's go. S- something like that. <laughs> Uh, but no, yeah. it, it really reminds you of like Irish Fest. Mm. Like it's got that same vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, great song. Love it. And uh, definitely takes me back to Sail on the Seas and Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And uh, a little PSA, everyone, go pick up AC Valhalla. Super cheap at this point. And uh, even if you don't finish it, man, you'll feel good sailing those seas, raiding the villages. It's just a good time. Yeah, only 240 hours to complete Platinum. Yeah, I mean, it's totally worth it. You totally worth it. Um, no comments on this one. They're actually, the comments were muted in the, uh, the YouTube video, but I can only imagine lots of people were, would say exactly what I was saying that like, if you ever want a song to really hype you up and feel like a Viking, that's, that's about as good as they come. Yeah. No kidding. So, uh, your third and final song, Ryan, what are we listening to? Hopefully not Santa baby remix version. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, I'm not going to grace the listeners with that amazing remix, but I think I got a second to that. Um, so going back to 2002, um, like I did for Santa Baby, I have another good song. Um, so that was the year that I asked Santa for the GameCube. And I think this was maybe a year after because it was the Platinum Limited Run Edition that I was looking for. Um, so maybe a year or so so after its initial release. Uh, I asked Santa and I want to say this puts me at like nine or 10 years old. Okay. Um, so I was still pretty young, maybe first grade, early elementary school. And I don't know if I was just going through a phrase or I wasn't really a bratty kid, but like I wanted this GameCube bad. Mm-hmm. And the box that Santa had brought me was not the shape that a GameCube was. And like, I don't know if just don't pull those tricks on me, but I was just so sad and like crushed and like crying and it was very much like a, not spoiled, but like in 
almost entitled. Yeah. But I'm like, I Santa fucking owes me this <laughs> platinum GameCube. And God forbid I'm ever going to believe in him again if he doesn't freaking bring me this cube. Yeah. So, yeah, I was crying and the parents were like, Santa, Santa's got your back kind of thing. Come downstairs. And I ended up opening it and I just felt like a complete asshole. And like, cause my grandma was there and it was the one who like, I would always read to and like, mm. wasn't strict, but like, was very much like, God, this fucking kid, they was raised wrong because <laughs> yeah. he's just crying about a GameCube. Um, so I, I regret that for sure. But like, I'll say, I'll, I'll attribute that to my first grade self. Mm-hmm. I, I no longer cry if the package is not the right size. <laughs> We've all In been many there. contexts. So, um, We've all been there, Ryan. Yeah, I ended up getting the GameCube, and there were two games that I think I got. It was obviously Melee, which is a classic, and we're going to play Hyrule <laughs> Castle. No, and then I also got um, Mario Sunshine, okay. which came out a couple months before this. And I just remember picking this game up, and I mean, before Tinykins was my favorite platformer. Um, all the music is great. All those individual worlds are just me iconic and nostalgic um so my song for or my third song is delfino plaza no okay well let's do it let's listen to super mario sunshine's delfino plaza Yeah, so very different feel to the kind of Christmas season. Um, it, it's just such a happy song. I believe it's the first song after you get off the tarmac um, with Mario. It's the first song you hear kind of in that plaza before you start going into worlds. Um, yeah, just just a happy song. Good stuff. Obviously contrasted with the Christmas season because you're literally on a tropical island. But, yeah, um, <laughs> very much so. Wonderful song. I remember playing the GameCube for the first time in a mom-and-pop game store called trading zone and uh yeah running around that world for the first time having not played the gamecube previously it was a special time special memory and uh yeah glad 
your uh, your parents or Santa Claus got the game key for you, so you didn't have a freaking meltdown. Like yeah, it was the next year I stopped leaving it in him, but that's Pokemon related, so it's understandable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll tell that story maybe the next. Yeah, episode. maybe next year. But uh, I think I'm gonna just play three songs this time around because okay. I had a fourth ready and prep. But you know what? I'll pocket it for the next holiday special memory melodies that we do for next year uh, because it's one of my favorites and definitely captures the uh, the Christmassy season well. But I think this third and final song that I'll play also does that just as well. And I think a lot of people, if I brought a guest on this show and they grew up in the 90s, this is probably a song that many would point to and say that it reminds them of the Christmas season. And that is from Super Mario 64 cool cool mountain this of course is the snowy world where you jump into the chimney you get to race the penguin you get to help the mom find her baby penguin that's running around you know making the noises because he's crying and all that kind of stuff but um what i did for this one is that i also found a rendition kind of remixed version that i mean personally i kind of like almost more than the original rendition but we'll get to that in a second so i typically remember really fondly Christmases growing up, getting the Game Boy, getting a particular console. It's almost like it happened yesterday. I have vivid memories of that kind of stuff. The N64 is a system that I just don't quite have those vivid memories. It's much foggier. And uh, I mean, because I was five, six, seven years old at the time. But what I do remember is like clear as day is my dad not necessarily opening it, but I remember going downstairs in the basement, my dad trying to hook up the N64 to our TV and him having to call one of the customer service numbers on the back of one of the game manuals to try and get support in turning on the console and getting it to work and figure out how you connect it to the TV. Remember it clear as day. And to my recollection, this is not the first N64 game I ever played personally. Um, but the one I remember playing first on my N64 was DK64. Okay. Which came out in 1999, which kind of, I think, would line up with when I got the N64 because I would have been about six years old mm-hmm. at that point. But I remember for that Christmas, my grandparents got my sister and I Mario Party 2 and Diddy Kong Racing. And I also remember getting Super Mario 64 and DK64. Those four games. So... Crazy Christmas, stacked N64 library right off the bat. You really can't go wrong with those four games. But DK64 in particular, I remember that opening level, playing it for the first time, and my dad struggling to get someone on the phone to figure out how he gets the input signal correct. Yeah, because you had all the colored cables, right? At the time, you had the red, white, and yellow instead of just HDMI. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, the HD stuff didn't even exist yet. Yeah, and then it... if I'm remembering correctly, you had like two cables that connected twice and like it was just a cluster. Yeah, it was a mess back then. It was tough. It wasn't as intuitive. Um, and my dad is the less least tech savvy person ever. Like if I had tried to explain to him like, you know, Rusty, how, how do I get Twitter on my phone? Like that would be like trying to hack the Pentagon. I mean, it, it would be equal levels of difficulty trying to get that man to understand that there is an application on his phone that he clicks into that's called the app store. You search Twitter, you download it and putting it in his career, it would just be a mess. So him trying to get the N64 hooked up an impossibility back then, but we eventually got it hooked up. We played DK 64, but the song I'm playing is a rendition of cool, cool mountain 
from Super Mario 64. So let's take a listen. What a terrific rendition. Did you like it? I do. Yeah, I really liked it. I like the, uh, we, so we're watching the video as we play the song and just seeing the level, it just brings back so many memories. It does. Such a great game. It really is. And a couple of YouTube comments to kind of breeze through here. This first one, this theme is just so jolly. It reminds me of the time of year and seeing snow on the ground, Christmas decorations abound, fireplaces lit and families sitting together waiting for that special day to finally arrive. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Brings you right back to the Christmas season. Next person says, whenever you want some Christmas vibes, just enter Cool Cool Mountain on YouTube to listen to this theme. Merry Christmas, everyone. Good stuff. And then last but certainly not least, you can't 
listen to this song, talk about this song, reflect about this song without the way this person kind of interprets it when they listen to it. Mama Penguin, thanks for saving my baby. Mario, no problem. Immediately after, picks up baby and throws it into the endless and eternal void. (laughs) (laughs) We've all done it. We've all done it once. We'd be lying if we said we didn't. Um, But yeah, couldn't, uh, what a great way to capture the Christmassy season with, with that particular tune. But with that being said, we are at the tail end of the show. Two and a half hours, quite a beefy episode today. So hopefully it found all of you well. Hopefully you found it entertaining. Talking about the wonderful games that we've been playing recently, including Tunic and Tinykin. Encourage everyone to go out there and pick both of those games up. And hopefully you found it entertaining as we kind of recap the highs and lows of the Game Awards. But we definitely want to also bring special attention to the next couple of weeks with the shows that Ryan and I are going to be recording. Like I said at the top of the show, it is goaty season. Ryan and I are going to be hard at work, pen to paper, fingers to keyboard, figuring out what our top 10 games of the year are over the course of the next two weeks. And then Christmas Eve, maybe the day before, we will release that episode. I'm sure it's going to be quite a lengthy discussion between the two of us going back and forth 10 to 1 leading up to our favorite game of 2022. I personally can't wait, but with that being said, a special call out to all of you, the listeners. Ryan and I are probably going to be splitting our personal top 10 games of the year episode with a separate community game of the year episode, but we really can't do that unless we get listener submissions. So if you want to know all the details about that, the different award categories, go into our Discord. The link is in the show notes. Community Game of the Year, little tab there in Discord. Should be really intuitive and easy to find. You'll see all the details, where to submit the de- where to submit all of your picks, Otaki Brothers Podcast at gmail.com, and all the finer details about how you can possibly win a $20 eShop gift card. So, Really excited to record those two episodes. It's always a lot of fun. Ryan, can you believe it? This will be our fifth time doing our Game of the Year special. Yeah, it's crazy. 2018, 19, 20, 21. It feels like just yesterday we were recording in your, what, second, first apartment. First apartment. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Even in my old squeaky apartment for the first couple episodes. Well, maybe for the official five-year anniversary of a Talk Brothers, we'll have to do a live episode. I'm game next May. Yeah, that'd be really good. So um, stay tuned for that. That's a little ways away, but I still can't believe that this will be our fifth time doing a game of the year special for the podcast. Always one of my favorite episodes to prepare for and certainly record here with Ryan. But as we come to the tail end of any Otaku Brothers podcast, if you've been around for a while, you know how we do it around here. I have to toss it back to my forever co-host to Give the listeners some parting words, maybe even a fun fact. Ryan, you have a fun fact this week for the listeners? Yeah, we're always here to impart knowledge. That's right. This is an educational program. Yep. That's what we're listed under. Mm -hmm. Uh, So caffeine, we're always drinking it while we're doing the podcast. Um, It actually makes you alert by blocking sleep receptors in the brain called adenosine receptors. Um, So the caffeine and adenosine have a very similar molecular structure, so they're able to bind to those receptors. Um, and then adenosine, one of its kind of core things that it does is help regulate sleep and wake cycles. Interesting. Yeah. So you're not actually getting like a boost. You're just kind of putting up a wall between you being tired and like reality. So like 
as it wears off, that wall slowly crumbling. And then it just floods in even worse. Hmm. So, yeah. Pretty wow. interesting. It is really interesting. And that's why you have to stay at the tail ends of every Otaku Brothers episode because Ryan's always bringing the fun facts. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is an educational program. We've also been talking for nearly three hours and I'm losing my voice. Yeah. But we want to encourage everyone to hopefully take some time off work. If not, hopefully you get to spend time with your loved ones and family this holiday season. Continue to play those great video games. Stay healthy as things get a little bit chillier here, at least in the Midwest. We will see you in just a few short weeks for our lengthy, beefy, lots of fun game of the year discussion. We can't wait. So we'll see you real soon. See you.